Greetings, travelers. Welcome to another episode of the Lay Film Podcast, episode 33. And this is a film podcast where we get together and talk about films from all around the world. And we have a special guest today. Tyler, you want to introduce our guest for us? Yep, today we got a very special guest. My dog, my day one homie, a Don Franco, the Don named Franco. What up, what up, what up? One of the one of the peeps who's got me uh, turned me into a movie buff. We've been nerds, nerds about movies for a while. Yep, probably since kids. Since I've seen kids in sixth, seventh grade, <laughs> it's way too young of an age. That's Tyler's origin story. Groomsmen, groomsmen in the wedding. By the way, shouts out. Yeah, uh, yep. That was an honor. That was a good time. And yeah, uh, I am your one of your co-hosts, Richie, aka Richie Lahomey. Yes, yes, sir. I am a uh, Tyler T. Stakey Stizzle, the Doctor Cunningham. I'm uh, I'm just I'm just Kevin. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> See, I'm just Patrick, <laughs> aka Pat Patty McGee, uh, aka Pat Pat maybe, the Pat Man. <laughs> AKA Krabby <laughs> Patty. <laughs> I've gotten Patrick Starr a lot. <laughs> so, yeah, we have a special episode today because we haven't had a guest in a long time. So, this is a, a sight. No, not a sight. This is a rare a, sighting. A rare uh, audio hearing? Yeah. <laughs> um,. So yeah, let's uh, talk about weekly updates. It's been a while. Is uh, anyone... Uh, oh, yeah, Patrick, you, you mentioned before the podcast that you were still watching Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Me and my girlfriend, Holly, are going through Twin Peaks. It's her first time. I've seen it twice, the first two seasons, I think, and then this is the second time for the third season. And uh, yeah, it's just really good. The third season's very unique. Uh my favorite thing when watching Twin Peaks, especially season three, is I think Jenny Stark always said this, but uh, when the first two seasons came out, he changed television and paved the way for like the Sopranos in the 90s, HBO boom. And then I remember Professor Stark saying, uh, season three is going to be like the next, not the next TV thing, but like, again, David Lynch raised the bar of like, there's cinema art in a couple scenes there's a couple scenes where it's like very experimental and not typical for tv like the minute long or two minute long shot of a guy sweeping a floor that just has a ambient backing track and yeah it's just it's a unique experience and it's fun to look at that and think i wonder what's going to come after this one again people look at that for inspiration and imitation it's really good can't recommend it recommend it enough I think I know the exact scenes that you're talking about. Oh, yeah. There's a couple. But they stand out and you remember them forever. It's, like, mainly in the editing, too. That's, like, the one thing I noticed about season three is that it really changes the game when it comes to editing to, like, convey, like, a sense of mood and, like, atmosphere. Um, Because, like, like you were saying in, like, seasons one and two, it's more of, like, the ambiance of it and, like, the, the, um, the colors and, like, the music and, like everything's sort of like uh either stationary or flowing whereas like this one is in season three it gets very very disjointed and it like is very fractured when it comes to time and 
I think I agree with um with what you were saying about like how she said that it's going to be like the next big thing for like TV because it's like I feel like that's the first it's probably the the only thing that comes to mind um when it comes to like mainstream television I I think or any sort of like media where it is where it went into the experimental um area and like just completely like did something different with it like I I only see that stuff in like video art pieces not in like TV to like convey like a narrative. So it's like, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in like the next few years because of that. And that came out in like 2017. It still feels like it was like yesterday that it came out. Yeah. It's like with the pandemic, it's like half yesterday, <laughs> half 10 years ago. Right now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that movie came out three years ago. No, no, it did not. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I agree some of those aspects about it um experimenting with like video art and some avant-garde because there are some scenes in that uh i guess i think it's like what eight hours no 16 right 16 hours of the return is it 16 yeah i think it might be like around that ballpark yeah Mm -hmm. yeah where there are some uh subplots and some scenes where it doesn't really go anywhere. It's just there. I well, I think it's there for the sake of experimenting with that uh, subgenre of um, avant-garde. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, as much as I like the return, there are some parts where I feel like I could turn people off because it is um, a mainstream show. It's on Showtime, and it's a it's really high bar television. But I can see. <laughs> some people uh the powers that be being upset thinking like why why does this exist what does this have to do with anything else in the show you know so yeah i I remember seeing an interview on it to like a behind the scenes of like david lynch was in like a a, like a i guess a writer's room Mm, yeah you know the one yes and he's and he's flipping out at like the time constraints and like um everyone was like pushing for him to um move on in terms of like the shooting schedule and i think it was when they were in a certain room or i just give it away (laughs) in a certain place and it takes a while for you to get into this certain area and he was uh he was voicing his, his opinion on like he wanted to stay in that environment for a bit longer to capture more stuff and he was like, yeah, we never get to go dreamy. Like, yeah, we just started getting dreamy. And now, and he's, like, flipping out for, like, good reason, too, though. Yeah. But at the same time, I, I could see, like, being like, oh, oh boy, like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I heard, yeah, I heard it wasn't, it probably wasn't, like, the most organized production schedule. And they probably wanted him to go faster. Yeah, and, you know, he's an auteur director, so um, he wants to do his own thing. It's that, like, balance of... Um, art versus like entertainment and yeah it's really hard and i i think it was almost detrimental to this actual show because there weren't a lot of people tuning in to watch the return when i looked up the numbers i'm like man not a lot of people watched the the return when it came out you know it's gonna be a sleeper hit that's for sure Mm. um and like just the fact that like he directed all, I think it's like 17 or 18 episodes. It's 18 or 16. I would say it's even, I could be wrong though. But that, like when I, when I first heard about that, it like blew my mind. Cause he didn't even do that with the original series. 
And I don't know, it's like for, for someone to like come out and like actually like tackle that huge pro that huge project at his age, like what he was in like his late sixties or seventies or early seventies at the time, like it's absolutely insane. And yeah. And I also watched uh Firewalk with me before starting season three with Holly and uh Yeah, it's just one of those again, it's like the show itself. He's able to push the envelope because it's a movie. And what he can show and get away with. But yeah, it's one of the greatest. I know he's like a cult icon, David Lynch. But like Firewalk With Me is like the best film to capture. Like it's kind of, that sounds crazy, stupid. But it's like Mark Twain-esque Americana. But it's like modern, contemporary, corrupted, like pseudo. It's like a mesh of the 80s with the Americana imagery, with the uh, unsettling stuff of the history of slavery and genocide and all that and he he makes it a perfect amalgamation when i watch his stuff it's season three included it just feels even season three it feels like even now 2016 contemporary america where there's like super attractive fbi agents who don't get character development they're just there to look pretty and he's sitting there like you guys see this person right and then his older characters referencing like like the character he plays is like referencing like a fifties or noir talk. He just talks in like jingos from old movies. <laughs> it's just, it's just such a amalgamation of like, uh, America. It feels like including like the, uh, indigenous people with like characters like Hawk and the mythos he builds. It's so good. It's so good. I just want to gush about that all day. <laughs> oh, yeah, we could like make a full on like side thing of like Twin Peaks, like for the show. I <laughs> know, uh, I gotta get on that. Yeah, it's the show I gotta get on next. Sure. I'm the only one here slapping. Speaking of uh, a creator that uh, directs like most of the episodes of a project, I've been, I just finished Mr. Robot, all four seasons, um, created by Sam Eshmel. Uh, he only directed like three episodes the first season, and then he directs um, every episode from uh, season two and on. So, uh, yeah, I just finished that. Um, I'm pretty upset that I finished this series because, uh, yeah, I haven't really stumbled upon a show like this where I'm just injected with so much anxiety and dread before I go to sleep. And I always ask myself, why do I watch the show before For I go real. to bed? Because yeah. I can't go Especially to sleep now. the end of the show. I feel like I almost had, like, a panic attack. That's like a show when we're talking about, like, mainstream channels. Because it's on USA. You don't mm-hmm. see USA putting on shows like that. Like, you, you, I would see that show being on HBO or Showtime or something right. like that. But, like, you watch and some of the times they're just pushing the limit on every single episode. And mm-hmm. you're just like, this is, like, for public TV. This is crazy. Like... So yeah, I'm, that was that's definitely a great great show for me. Right, because uh, speaking of like a show that raises the bar um, for mainstream television, it does do things that aren't typical of, of a viewer to like see on a um, a channel like USA. Yeah, and um, yeah, I think it's right on par with what Pat said about um, Twin Peaks. It does a lot of things like. Uh, Tyler, you said one of your favorite episodes was like the long take, the, the an episode in season three where it has like oh, a, yeah. a one-er. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, where the episode is. What did you think of that? Oh, it was, it was brilliant. Um, 
It was edited by Roseanne Tan, and she's also known for now her recent projects on Falcon, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Um, she won an Emmy, I believe, for that episode. Really? Um, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they said something like the guy who plays... I forgot what his name is. The guy who plays uh, the White Rose. Uh, B.D. Wong. Yeah, he helped direct that episode, that specific Oh, episode, he helped direct it. Sure. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. nice. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, man. This show is fantastic. I, uh, I've been watching I think the in the end, weeks. he ends up being the best character, honestly. Man, it's hard, it's hard to really say um, because there's so many great characters on that show the ensemble is very strong it's really hard to pinpoint anyone not belonging in the show um but remy malik really carries the weight of the show on his shoulders um he's a incredible actor and um yeah and the dialogue is great um yeah it's really hard him and christian slater at the end the last season though are like dope together they're like a enjoy badass. Yeah, their symbiotic relationship really works. I think that's really helps um, with the like. Oh man, it's hard. To, I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's a really great balance. Uh, I guess balancing act between them two because they really. Um, oh man, it's so hard to say because there are certain you, points where you just yeah, want to. You don't, you don't want to like yeah that. yeah. It's you want to root for one side or the other, and it's just like for me at some point I'm just rooting for like. <laughs> I'm just rooting. Uh, it's hard. Yeah, it's I'm just rooting for the worst things. So it's just yeah. like you don't want to, but like you understand. You know, the show does a great job of like helping you understand all these perspectives. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I'll compare it to like Breaking Bad because at the time when Breaking Bad came out. Everyone's like, oh my god, is raising the bar for mainstream TV. And at the time, it was like a cult classic before but people caught like on. No one talks about. Yeah, Mr. no one talks about Mr. Robot. It'll, that's um, like, that's going to be one that people will and, come back to. Yeah. Sure. Um, now that it's hitting all the other platforms and, and it's coming yeah. about, it's definitely going to be one that people are going to start to catch on to. And, and I found out that uh, season one had almost 2 million viewers, and then season two was like at a million and then season three and four it was like half a million to like three hundred thousand viewers. It it dropped. Yeah. That's Um, fucking insane. I think it's part of the reason why the show ended at season four, but I But also I feel like you can't like it's like perfectly short. How long can you keep going with that type of topic and those types of things, you know? You don't want a competitive a lost situation on your hands. Yeah. Oh no! Yeah, we're just going to the island, going back to the island. <laughs> we have to island. go back. No, you don't always want to go back, but uh, yeah, uh, Mr. Robot, uh, highly recommend. It's on Amazon Prime, and um, dude, truly one of the best series I've ever watched, especially uh, yeah, within the past like five years or so. Um, truly addicting, and yeah, yeah, watch it. One of my favorite things with shows like that, or just shows in general, is like when they have an episode, like the first episode is just as concise as, like, some of the other episodes, like, later on in the season or even in the following seasons. Like, it, you could just tell that they had the style, like, nailed down. Mm-hmm. Like, almost to where, like, at their near prime. Like, for the very first episode. Like, right when the opening sequence hit, I was hooked. Yeah. Like, just Wait, seeing, have you been watching it? Oh, I, I watched the first season, and then I got to the midpoint of season two, and then for... I can't remember why, but I stopped watching it. 
but I've been meaning to go back and at least start from season two again mm-hmm. and then like carry it on. But yeah, that show is like the number one spot for like what I'm going to start watching because I, I recently finished a uh, you and oh my God, that, that show is amazing. It's not like about like a guy who's like, isn't he like a serial killer? Yeah. He's a, like he's that? a serial stalker killer. Yeah, and, and it's, I, I love the the way that they play with the narrative um, across the diff- across the two seasons and just the structures and um, just basically having you guessing at every turn but then like just completely going another another route that you didn't even think of and it makes you feel guilty for watching it too because it's like ooh like you're watching this person stalk someone and also do all these really questionable disgusting things yeah. like why and, are you watching and you kind of root for him sometimes mm-hmm. you kind of like want things to work out but you already know it's too too far gone mm-hmm. like ardo i think you mentioned um you were never really here earlier yeah like it, it, it's kind of like and the main character is kind of takes on that kind of role yeah 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 mm-hmm. that's pretty cool all right i got to get i got to watch that yeah cuz that movie was definitely nothing that you expected to be like that movie was great and it, it's crazy because that movie wasn't really pushed into like the theaters or anything i think it was only there for like a week or two and like i went to go watch in that one week i think at like this early showing they had like two showings throughout the whole day and i was like how like that movie's just that's another movie that's really fantastic that probably would lead into that type of show We're taking um, a sip of some whiskey right now, so if you're listening, it's your turn to take a shot. (laughs) Right, Patrick? Shot up some water, because, you know, (laughs) people don't drink enough of it. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly, we have no (laughs) But yeah, um, another movie I'm really stoked about, I talked about it the last episode, was uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion 3.0 plus 1.0. It came out on the 13th, along with the other rebuilds of the series, um, and I'm very excited, because it's like the end of an era, like, for sure this time. I'm pretty certain that it's going to be the final installment. Yeah, I've been seeing for ads for that since I was watching Mr. Robot, and yeah, yeah I've been seeing plenty of it. It's surprising, <laughs> it's surprising to see that there's actually ads on it. <laughs> like, I didn't think that they would actually push the marketing for it on it, but I'm... I, I think ever since ne- uh, Netflix acquired the rights to it, I think that um, there's it's steadily building like another huge uh, following, which I'm really excited about. Just because there's so many positive messages from it, even though it does go down some dark some dark paths, I think that eventually it merge it emerges and with a very optimistic outlook on life. And I'm excited to see where this one goes because the third one 3.33 was very dark (laughs) and the second one too but like yeah i'm really excited to see where the fourth one goes um but other than that i have been uh oh gosh what have i oh yeah i've been getting into gundam lately oh yes I, on? On? I'm on the, the well. I started watching Iron Blooded Orphans, <laughs> and I'm kind of like eh on it. I got about like four episodes into it, and I wasn't really feeling it. Yeah, that one's bad. Now I'm on the Eighth MS team. I I'm really digging this one. Okay. Um, uh, Jezzer told me about uh, the one that you recommended him. Oh, War in the Pocket. Yeah, War in the Pocket. That is the best 
anti-war anime out there. Yeah, and like he told me, I think he's he he's like, oh yeah, it's the eighth MS team. Like, but he mixed it up, mm-hmm. and so I started watching that one. I'm like, oh dude, this one's fucking great. And he's like, oh no, actually, it's War in the Pocket. So I'm like, dude, like you're telling me there's another really solid Gundam series, like. There's a couple really good ones and then a couple really bad ones. See, but I'm like, I'm I'm wanting to go back to the original series and like watch the original arc from like the '70s up till whatever, uh, like it ends with that saga. Mm-hmm. But um, dude, there's just something about '90s anime that just like really nails the vibe and like the story and like the groundedness. And mm-hmm. he was telling me that uh, War in the Pocket is like a very like grounded Gundam series. And I don't know, like, I'm just, I've just been really digging those vibes lately, but I'm really digging the 8th MS team right now. War in the Pocket's a great meta narrative, and the hook is so good. It's it's on a colony in space. There's a young kid who has a deep love for the robots that fight, like fighter jets. And it's like an allegory for the fandom of the series. He's like, oh, you know, this robot's cool. It's like, you know, they're like space Nazis. He's like, this fucking robot's cool. That's all that matters. <laughs> and then, like, yeah, it comes to... That kid, like us, the audience, is presented with, like, the actual horrors of war and, like, a short six-episode arc around Christmas. It's such a good series. See, and that's the thing that drew me into wanting to watch Iron-Blooded Orphans was the fact that it deals with child soldiers manning, you know, uh, mech units and stuff, like Evangelion. Mm -hmm. But, like, it just does not... It's just so tropey, and it's, like, it doesn't work, but, like... um, with the 8th MS team, I'm really liking it because you have the Federation coming from outside of Earth who have never even seen the planet before. And then they're, like, landing in it. And it's like almost like a Vietnam War uh, series. And I don't know. And you just see, like, the Xeon. Like, they're just stationary there. And they're creating, like, this giant war machine. And you just see everyone struggling in the jungle. And, like, man... I don't know. I've been really wanting for for at least a month now. I've been wanting to get into Gundam, especially with like the video game that came out, um, the most recent one. Uh, I've been wanting to play that. Oh, and I've been playing Zone of the Enders again. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm just on a huge mech kick right now. <laughs> but one. yeah, that's what I've been up to. <laughs> what What have you guys been up to? Uh, I've been watching billions. You guys ever heard of the show Billions? Oh, billions? Billions? Yeah. Are you watching it ironically, or is like, has it got you hooked? <laughs> no, like, I'm hooked. I'm hooked into that show. I haven't even heard of this. Okay. I, yeah. What is it? I feel like a lot of people don't really enjoy that show. What's it about? It's like a, uh, it's this, like, show about, it's basically like this one dude who, like, works for, like, a hedge fund and stuff like that. It's, like, kind of like stock market stuff, and, like, at first I was watching it because I was getting into that stuff, mm-hmm. but then now I'm, like, almost, like, about to finish it. I'm, like, on, like, season four and, like, on five, and I'm just, like, going. I don't know. It's, like, it's pretty sick. Like, every every episode, like, I can't, like, I've never had, like, besides Mr. Robot, there hasn't been a show where, like, I leave and I'm, like, damn, I need to watch that next one. Like, I should just wait and just watch one more, you know? It's it. I, I like that show personally. It's pretty good. Yeah, because I've I've seen reviews or like breakdowns, but I haven't seen the show. But it, like they reference that like it's touching on themes like Mr. Robot, but like it's it's aware of it. The creators are, but the fan base isn't. Like yeah, it's like a different. Tw- I mean, like the way that the like the show is shot in a sense 
and like the atmosphere behind it, I can definitely see it like being like Mr. Robot, especially because they both take place in New York. But like, I don't know, like that show, just like the actors in it, like, uh, what's his name? Uh, the dude who plays Chuck Rose, I forgot, Gianni, uh, I forgot what his name is, but he's like in Big Fat Liar and stuff like that. I forgot mm-hmm. what it is, Paul Giamatti. Oh, Paul Giamatti, yeah. yeah. that fool mm-hmm. is amazing in that show. Like, it, I don't know, that he makes that show to me. <laughs> like, I've just been on that show, it's been like, just been every night. I'm glad, I'm glad to hear that he's, like, taking on, um, or he's, like, still doing solid roles like that. Yeah. Just, I mean, like, I, I recently watched The Truman Show again, and Paul Giamatti's in that, and he yeah. has, like, a super minor part in it. But I'm like, dang, man, like, he's been in some, like, really solid things. Like, and what he's known for is his dialogue. And, like, in that show, the dialogue, like, is just set for him. It's so oh, good. That, like, that's really good to hear. Like, like I'm glad that... <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah, I want to uh, check out his work in uh, Sideways. I have not yes. seen that film yet, but um, I always hear good things about um, that movie and Paul Giamatti. Yeah, check that one out. Yeah. That, I, loved, I loved him in Amazing Spider-Man 2, though, as Rhino. Said no one ever. One. <laughs> you guys got to get on Shoot 'em Up. Clive Owen. Oh, my God. <laughs> villain oh, I actually like Shoot 'em Up. Shoot 'em Up's class. Yeah, that one's really good. He, yeah, Clive Owen plays like a Bugs Bunny type action <laughs> <The> hero. <character> <laughs> you guys ever heard of Shoot 'em Up? Yeah. No, I haven't. It's, yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's, out, it's an outrageous, <laughs> yeah. dark action story. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's oh, ridiculous. You know what I just watched that was outrageous? Have you ever seen. Uh, Walk Hard, the Dewey Cox. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> just good. Right. I watched that for the first time. <laughs> and, and like a good mindset, if you know what I'm saying. It's <laughs> <laughs> like after bartending, I closed and had a few drinks, came back, had a few more drinks. And that shit is hilarious. Oh, my God. Very, it can be offensive to some people, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want no part of this, do we? We're doing uppers and downers. <laughs> that's the one with John C. Riley, right? Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. And then I've, I've still been on Sopranos. I've been on. Uh, there's no even. There's no reason to even go by me when we talk about these weekly <laughs> updates because I still keep fucking just slugging through Sopranos. Yeah, Arda, what you were saying about, like, uh, with that show that you're, you're watching where it's, like, rare to feel that sensation of, like, uh, after you're done watching it, you're like, oh, no, I just, I, I gotta, like, keep going back. Like, that's the exact feeling I had with Sopranos. I feel like I was like, gonna say, you're watching the wrong shows, because every show I watch, pretty much, like, Sopranos is, like, every episode, and it sucks because it's an hour long, mm-hmm. and, like, you're committed. Yeah, that's how long these are. I need, but I it's actually, it's a slower show, so we're, like... If, mm-hmm. if it's a slow part of the show, like, I'll fall asleep. Whereas, like, I remember when I was watching, binging uh, Attack on Titan. Like, that shit's just, like, 22-minute episodes, and it's, like, intense. Yeah, it doesn't, every it doesn't episode, waste any time. You can't go to sleep. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the same with Mr. Robot. That's why it was so easy for me to just keep binging it. Oh, I had a good question to pose earlier. You know, like, you were talking, like, oh, it's the end of an era. Like, they're ending the show or whatever. What show... Two questions. What show do you think ended the like the best? And then what show do you think would be best to never end? Ooh. That's a good one. Mm. Best to never end? Like just to keep going. Oh. I would say Pokemon. 
<laughs> For both answers. <laughs> <laughs> both answers. Poking like, like you, you already like. So, yeah, you just <laughs> you solve the yeah, which one to keep going. <laughs> that's kind of a hard question. I think though, Mr. Robot may be up there with me. That like ended pretty perfect. Yeah, I would say because it ended a couple of years ago, and it did hit right at the peak of like Game of Thrones ended it, real bad. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It started when Breaking Bad ended around that time, and oh yeah, yeah. That's I know how Sopranos ends, but I'm not a. I I am of the opinion that the Sopranos ended at the perfect moment. And yeah, I'm so curious because I know what the perfect. scene is. I'm like, what the fuck see, but, is going to happen? See, but that's the thing, though. It's the journey that matters. It doesn't yeah. matter about the ending. Everyone knows what the ending is to The Sopranos. And, like, you either love it or you hate it. But I'm of the opinion that it had to end there. It absolutely I, had to. I could use more of The Wire. I think The Wire had is a type of show that you can do so much with it. Um yeah, I think it could could have kept going, but like different storylines as well because um that show um do- dove into like the the streets, like the aspects of like the perspective of the the kids and even uh, not only like the detectives but even the um the drug dealers as well. Um I think that show could have done way more. Yeah, I almost um, chose that over Sopranos to watch. The wi- the wire is really great. Um have you I'm seen like, it all? No, I've only seen like a couple episodes and I need to get back on. Is it like hour long episodes too? Oh uh, yeah, just about, yeah. 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 My buddy's um, uh you know you know Kyle. Kyle's like he raves, he's like, That is the best show I've ever seen on television. Like, I hear it's always Every that time. or Sopranos. Yeah. Like, those are the only <laughs> but he's like the wire man. You need to watch um, him. Like, so. I mean when it comes to like the cinematography and the style, nah, I mean it's just more like gritty, realistic. But if you know, you'll appreciate it for like the characters and, and the dialogue. Yeah. But if you want more style, I would I would recommend Mister Robot because it has the same DP oh, yeah. throughout the whole series. Todd Campbell, yeah. such Great. good music, too. incredible job. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mac Mac Quayle. Yeah, oof. That's I always say that too. It's one of my favorite parts about uh, they know when to put watching stuff. The, they know the, what yeah. song to put, when to put mm-hmm. it. If you just put me on like some good music, your movie doesn't even have to be good, <laughs> and I like it. You know, just jam out to it. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I'd say The Wire. Um, just most not for the style, but more for like the substance of the show and what it was trying to to say. Uh, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah, I'm having a hard. I got my one I never wanted at the end. I wanted to go on forever. It's a sad one for me. <laughs> Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> no, that, that should have ended after Cell, are you late? <laughs> but uh, uh, Berserk in the 90s. Yes, I was going to yes. I wanted that to go to the Lost Children arc. Someone please cover the best arc of the series. I wanted that. They skip it every time. Did you hear that they're coming out with a new chapter? Or the final chapter that Kentaro Miura worked on? Oh, shit. I know, that's going to... And then everyone's expecting that that's going to be when... Um, is it Young Animal? Is that yeah. the pub? Yeah, that's when everyone's suspecting that they're either going to um, release a statement saying that they're continuing it or they're not. Yeah. Oh, man, it's going to be so bittersweet, Pat. <laughs> I'm ready for it then, but I want to see the ending, but it's it's not the same. It's like a, I don't know, it's like a void left in something I really enjoyed. See, I feel that way with um, 
Not only Berserk, but Monster. I feel like Monster could have gone on just purely for like... Just purely for the, the scenes. You know the ones I'm talking about, where it's yes. like the dinner scenes. Kevin, and thank you for my answer to the other one that ended perfectly. Monster. Monster did yes. end perfectly. It ends so perfectly. Pat turned me on to this anime, like, uh, I want to say like a year ago? Yeah. Yeah, and it's called Monster. And like, you were saying that like it was like a sleeper. No one watched it, but it's one of the highest rated mangas of all time. And I, I bought the physicals. Was? Just to have them. I have the illegal downloads from before the website was shut down. I got those locked into. <laughs> it is so good. It's like, yeah. It's like the perfect slow burner show. Like it, I remember, I tried watching it. Oh no, we watched like ten episodes together, yeah, like in one slow, day. Yeah, yeah, and um, it starts off really slow, but it's purely just building itself up to like this strange narrative where it's about a doctor who. Um, saved the life of a young child who um, is uh, that you take it over yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't want to spoil too much I saw it on like sci-fi channels anime night like back in 2006 I think and I got me hooked but it's uh, the plot is a Japanese doctor in post Soviet collapse Germany so the east has fallen it's like 94, 95, 6, 7 whatever uh, he's at a hospital. Uh, some rich politician comes in with a head trauma. He's a neurosurgeon who's gifted. He's like, oh, okay, well, well, no, sorry, get that backwards. A kid is brought in who's recently a part of an alleged political assassination who was shot in the head and his twin sister is comatose. Uh, he's brought in and he's, oh, I'm going to operate him. I can save his life. And then a politician comes down with like a head trauma or blood clot in the brain and then he's his superiors come in and say let, let the kid die uh and save Wait, the politician i'm interested i think there's a lot of details now no it's, it's <laughs> the, the oh no no this is this is literally just the tip yes. like of, of the iceberg like yes. what? Okay. yeah so yeah <laughs> it's kind of a spoiler not really it's in the if you look at the log line uh he operates on the kid instead jeopardizes his career 10 years pass and there's a string of mysterious serial killings connected to that same child. And he has to unravel a Cold War era of mystery, shadow stuff, mm. with just a... It's a really good thriller it's set in... Good. Okay, yeah. that sounds sick. Yeah. Send no, me, uh, send yeah. me Monster. those... Uh, yeah. <laughs> those torrents. <laughs> yeah, like, Monster is, like, one of the Get most... Get that USB to my hand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we do not um, condone uh, piracy. Uh, we're just joking. We're, we like to mess around. I, we don't even have it on YouTube. We can say whatever we want. It's currently on YouTube. <laughs> yeah, Monster, if, if anyone's interested, for the time being, as of right now... There's a playlist. Yeah, there's a playlist of all the Monster episodes on oh, YouTube. Is and Berserk like, 97, how many seasons, too, I think. So, yeah. How many seasons? Just one season? It's a lot of episodes, but there's a lot of arcs. Oh my god, it's 74? so good. Like, you just, like, oh, it doesn't even that. become a part of it. Like, for me, it wasn't even about the story. It was just about the feeling that you get in some scenes. Like, it's just, like, all this darkness, but you just see Tenma going through the motions of, like, holding on to his humanity, trying to, like, not, you know, sway over to the dark side. Yeah. Like, sort of thing, but... There's neo-Nazism, fascism, capitalism, all the critiques are there. Yeah, like that and Berserk 97. Watch them. Those are my two picks. Uh, but Monster ends perfectly. Berserk, I wanted it to continue. I, I am, I'm agreeing with those. Those are my two. <laughs> uh, 
What about you, Tyler? What would you say? Pokemon. <laughs> <laughs> Both. I think Mr. Robot, I would say, ended the best. Or... No, yeah, Mr. Robot, for sure. I haven't finished Sopranos. And then, uh... I don't know. I don't know, it's tough. I guess, like, Lost. Like, they could have ended Lost earlier. Mm. But I was also so sad when that show ended. Which... That was, that, I was going to ask that earlier. What show made you the saddest? Oh, dude, the next over. The next generation. See, that's what I was going to say, too, because I haven't watched Star Trek, but I was going to say, I feel like the show that you got, you, Kevin and Pat, you guys would choose like to go on forever is The Next Generation. Yes. I forgot. Goddamn, The Next Generation. Yeah, dude, the next generation. <laughs> Honestly, I got so many answers. Like, because I was going to say answers. Star Wars, like... I know, like, we're, like, kind of Disney haters here, but obviously Star Wars. Like, if they could just go, like, if they get more creative with it, I think Star Wars... See, that's the thing. It's, like, like, if they would go super dark. Like, give me fucking... Give me Anakin just, like, cold-blooded murdering people. Or even... Confronting, like, humanistic things. Like... (laughs) Like, give me the existential threat that, like, created the Force. Mm -hmm. And they're, like, coming back to take it back. I don't know. But, yes, like, the next generation, like, that show will hold like a just like the most lo- the largest pocket of like my heart like forever <laughs> because like I started watching it at, at the beginning of um the lockdown and like just I was completely like I mean as with like anyone really like I I just remember being like locked up in my room and like not doing like anything and just like I was also really depressed too but like um especially with like all the the news of like the world and like all these other things that were ongoing like with me like in my own life um but each night i would make it a thing to where i would just sit down and watch at least one episode of the next generation and it would just fill me with so much hope for the future of what the future could be for like humanity and for like civilization and for the world and for even like um interplanetary communication and um being able to travel and discover new species and life and just holding on to the prime directive which is to never interfere with the evolution of a society but then once they get to a point you welcome them into the federation and just seeing the groundedness of a show that takes place in like that spans galaxies it's just the most benevolent humanistic show that i've ever seen and also like philosophically uh entangled show that i've ever seen like there's like one of my favorite episodes is when um uh the the second in command Riker comes well their entire like space fleet comes across um an asexual society and you see them tackle this uh you know the the issues of uh gender and sex and like all these things like way back in the 80s like back when it was like super hush hush Mm -hmm, and they're doing it in the science fiction show and i think that that to me the next generation set the bar for what science fiction could be and for what we should try to aim for as a civilization because with science fiction i feel like nowadays it's just so it's so negative in terms of um technology and uh it being integrated into our lives to where we don't have enough understanding and we don't have enough um we aren't capable of um 
understanding the ramifications of technology by, uh, you know, the power that it has. And we kind of use it for selfish reasons. Whereas like in the next generation, like there's no such thing as money. Like you could live wherever you want. You can choose to travel space if you want, if you pass the like the exams or anything. And like, it doesn't matter what you look like. doesn't matter what color skin you have. It doesn't matter if you're male, female, any sort of gender, anything like that. Like it, there's just so much tolerance and like religion, like it, yeah, it's just everyone's so tolerant of each other. But then again, like once you come across like different cultures of, uh, like, let's say Klingons, uh, Vulcans, um, like anyone, anyone really, uh, you get, you get the same exact issues that you see here on earth, like in our day and age, but just set against like the galactic infinite. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful. And like seeing someone like Picard, who is just this, the the supreme being of of benevolence and like respecting others and like i don't know like i aspire to be like picard like he is such a i don't know yeah and all the characters really like that's sorry i'm going on a huge rant um i <laughs> the final episode <laughs> is called fired up. the final episode is <laughs> called <laughs> all good things and it is Oh man, it's just so sad. My my friend Zazo uh, put me on to the Next Generation. He'd been telling me about it for like so long, and then finally, like I just turned it on one day. He told me to watch um, a few episodes um, that weren't in the first two seasons because it starts off rocky. But if you if there's ever an episode that you just put on, watch the Inner Light. The Inner Light. It is. It spans lifetimes in an episode. Of one character, and oh my god, it is phenomenal. Like, it... <sighs> I'm getting all, like, welled up thinking about that episode. It's kind of like that, uh... That Rick and Morty episode we just watched. Oh yeah, dude. <laughs> it honestly is just like that. Like, in terms of, like, the span yeah, of time. Yeah. Generations. <laughs> but yeah, that's the show that I wish could go on forever. Uh, what about you, Ardo? Uh, what do you... Uh, um... I agree with T-Stake on, like, uh, Mr. Robot. That was, like... I... I don't think it could have gone another season. Yeah. About where it ended, it ended. And then, to me, I'd probably say for a comedy one, because it's probably my favorite show, and it hasn't ended yet, and it could probably go on forever, is uh, It's Always Sunny. Mm. Because I'm like, damn, they're about to make 15, the 15 seasons about to come out, and they just got renewed for, like, two more seasons. Really? Yeah. No like, way. They're at least making 16, for sure, and they're going to keep going. So it's like, like, that's a show I'm like, dude, if they keep... I, I'm... They can keep going. Hey man, I when the first season came out, I grew up uh, recording episodes of that show on, on a VHS. Yeah, yeah I was way too young uh, to watch that show. And I oh, came, I like, was two thousand five, dude. That was like eleven years old, and now I'm still oh, watching. Twenty six, like it's still going. Like, I'm old. <laughs> that was like one of the first shows that I actually watched where I was like constantly like holding my gut like laughing and mm-hmm. stuff because yeah. usually with like comedy shows I kind of like chuckle here and there but with It's Always Sunny it like blew my mind for yeah. what comedy could be yeah that's a show that pushes a limit on mainstream TV like oh yeah it, cr- like, it crosses boundaries, boundaries that's for sure mm-hmm. it, Crazy. It, it offends if you if you get offended <laughs> you, <laughs> you shouldn't watch yeah. It's Always Sunny because no, even the first episode there. is very 
very offensive. Mm-hmm. Like the name of it, what it is, like yeah. Isn't the first one the gang gets, gets racist? racist. Yeah. I started I started rewatching the series recently, like um a few months ago. And it had been a while since I had seen all of them, probably at least like a few years. But oh my god, each time I watch it, I get like the biggest pit in my stomach for how awful each and every single one of them are. <laughs> yeah, like you watch it, but like you don't like them, you hate them, and you're like, dude, they're such bad people, but it's so intriguing. Like, <laughs> the, the episode that gets me is when um, Pete, is it Psycho Pete? Yeah, yeah. When he Psycho comes Pete, back? Yeah. Oh, dude, that, that, that episode crushes so my soul each time I watch that. Or the episode where, um, where Frank and uh, his, is it his brother? Like, it's like yeah. them retelling their... Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it's like oh, the Shit Dynasties. Yeah. Like, Shady Nasty. He's like, <laughs> it's Shit Dynasty. <laughs> oh, man, there's just so many episodes. Yeah, it's dude. Like, that's like a... That's a show that I definitely... Like, when he said that question, I was like, on top of that, it's always something can go on for See, days and I'll keep watching it. I, I think I agree with you, too, because, like, I think it's so important to have shows like that that are constantly, like, holding up that sort of mirror to society where it shows, like, all of the ugly blemishes, yep. all the wrinkles, all the scars yeah. of, like, how awful people can be because, like, um, I forget, it was mentioned earlier, um, oh, yeah, Pat, you were talking about, like, the fan base, like, mm-hmm. that doesn't understand what they're doing with the show that Arda was talking about. Yes. Um, I feel that way with not only, like, uh, It's Always Sunny, but with, like, Rick and Morty as well. Um, like, I worry about, like, some of the comedies that, like, um, kind of put these people up on, like, pedestals where it's, like, you love to hate them. But, like, the fan base sometimes, like, I worry about them. Because there are people out there who are, like, oh, my God, yeah, let's, like, do that. Like, the boys are back in town, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I, I feel... Yeah. yeah, like... But I, I feel like it's it's so important to have shows like It's Always Sunny and, like, South Park, too. Like That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. like... It's like the real life South Park almost is like, like there's like everybody, you know, right now, any episode with like, if someone gets the wrong message, it can be like completely mm-hmm. like, all right, it's, it's done. Like, we're not going to support that. But like, mm-hmm. for some reason, South Park and It's Always Sunny, they don't, they just like people back off on that. Like they touch on the most touchiest subjects. They, they push the line and everyone's like, no, no. Like I've been laughing with them since <laughs> the mid 2000s. Like I'm not going to do it now that everyone's like getting all. Like, yeah, it's pretty crazy. For me, I have two that ended early, and one of them has to be The Chappelle Show. Yes. Oh, that one yeah. definitely okay. ended before it reached its peak, I think. Man, that but, was a, that's, like, right up there with yeah. It's Always Sunny. Like, yeah. yeah. Two seasons, too. It's, like, three and a half, man. Yeah, and, yeah, Dave Chappelle turned down a lot of money for, you know, the sake of his own, like, mental health and what he was going through at the time. Anything like him... I think he believed that the, the the viewership didn't understand what he was going for in ter- uh, with his comedy at, at that time. Because yeah. I think if the Chappelle Show came out today, I think it would have been way more. I think it would have been way more popular. You know, yeah. I think it, it developed definitely a following now. Um, but yeah, I think it's like what Kevin said. It's up there with "It's Always Sunny." Um, it definitely would have been. I think it would have kept going. Yeah, had yeah. Uh, he not stepped down. But um, another show I felt like that ended too early, and you guys always know I'm always going to bring up this show, uh, The OA. Mm-hmm. I think that show ended way too early, two seasons. Um, it's on Netflix, and obviously it ended because nobody watched it. But um, <laughs> yeah, that's definitely another show that I felt like it, it does. 
it subverts all tropes and it's definitely not a show where each episode is about some theme and you're going to learn about, you know, something about like what the story is trying to say in one episode. It's a, you got to look at each season as like an eight hour movie. So like the first season, eight episodes, second season, eight episodes, and you got to see it like that. And I think that's why um, a lot of people fell off watching it because they couldn't understand where it was going and what uh, it was trying to say in terms of its storytelling. And um, I just love how different that show is from season one to season two. Just like um, what Kevin mentioned, um, the show You, how different it is from season one to season two and then transitioning from location to location and and cinematography and the coloring is all different and um it's same thing with eoa and i'm just i'm just saddened like that show could have kept going definitely there was definitely something that was there and um i'm just happy that uh the creators brit marling and zabat manglish they're doing a new show for fx called retreat so they're I think that show is going to reference the OA for sure, and they're definitely the type of creators that, um, in all their films and, and, and the OA, they don't have an ending. They literally don't have an ending for any of like their projects, and that those are the type of creators that I always tend to lean towards, is when they, they always shock you with the end of it, and you're like, that's how it ends? That's not an ending? like, And you always have to imagine like for yourself what, what it means, so... Yeah. Uh, let's head into our feature review of The Handmaiden, which was actually handpicked by Arda. Yeah. Uh-huh. That film. Oh, man, yeah. I don't even know where to begin with this film. So, so generally, I guess when we start, we'll just, just uh, we'll give our, like, summary or of the movie, and then we'll talk spoilers, right? So, um... um so Ardo, like, what what was the reason that you picked this movie? Like, um, where did you first see it? What do you think of it? Probably what it was is like when I started to get like so I like used to watch films probably like mid two thousands a lot and then like I kind of just like stopped watching them for a while and then one of the first films I had seen like three or four years back again like the first one I ended up watching was Old Boy, which is oh, one of his films. Oh man! So I went on a binge and had started watching movies and I remember The Handmaiden was always on my list and I don't know how I never got to it and one day I just decided to watch it because it was on Prime Video and I just I knew everything about it before and like or like not like this whole story but I knew the premise and like who the director was so I decided to watch it and yeah that movie just blew me away like from just from the first scene like and just everything about it to like the cinematography and everything was just like as soon as I was you get like 10 minutes into that film and you're going to watch it. You're going to watch it the whole rest of the way, you know? Yeah, it's interesting that it's adapted from, like, a British Victorian novel. Yep. And then they turned it into, like, this Japanese-Korean yep. story. Yeah, so. like, 1930s when, like, the Japanese was taking over Korea. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's... I like the twist that they put onto that. Yeah, I think that's, like, one of the best, like, adaptations. Like, you know how Hollywood sometimes, like, uh, <laughs> blow their, their projects um, by, like adapting from like a korean or a japanese story and they just kind of ruin it whereas i think that um park chan wook for the handmaiden I, I haven't read the story but from the film itself without any knowledge of the actual like uh story uh fingersmith um i thought it was really well done yeah wait so would this film be considered hollywood 
No, no, no not at all. I, um, yeah. I think that's... He's definitely one of the more prominent South mm-hmm. Korean filmmakers. Yeah, so, for sure. Like, he's he probably has, like, a lot of budget. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. What you can see from that film, like, when the certain things, like, certain scenes, like, you're like, oh, they just that one scene alone, how much was in that one budget, you know? It's like, so there's a lot. I, yeah, I think that Western audiences aren't, still aren't as familiar with Park Chan-wook, whereas, like, a director, let's say, like, Ang Lee, is more well-known because he, you know, he had his works popularized uh, internationally with, like, um, damn, what other movies did he do? I forgot. But he was, like, really um, versatile with his genre films. And um, he crossed over to Hollywood, and he did really, really well. Park Chan-wook did Stoker, um, which was, like, what, eight years ago, I think. And that was, like, his first English-language film. And um, it it didn't really reach mainstream audiences like that. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Hopefully, maybe one day we'll see him do more. I know I think he's doing like a British related series or something like that where he directs all the episodes. Um, yeah, I, lo- I just love how stylish he is as a director and um, the dark, the dark comedy and just uh, evocative. He, he always, it's always, it always provokes you, I think. Um, with the way he um, has his uh, uh, director of photography like utilize the camera uh, with these close-ups and um, some of these like uh, man, I can't. It's hard to describe. Like some of the like male gazy shots. It's like it really, it really. Uh, you can't watch his movies with like your parents. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. That's a fact. Uh, when I the first movie that I saw from him was was Old Boy Two, and um, oh my god, I, I first saw that in my senior year, and because of that movie, I remember I started like training like Odesu, like I was like punching like a wooden plank and like the, trying to build up my knuckles, and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like, and I still contend that that was the most like ripped I ever got like in my entire life. <laughs> and because of that movie, like for my senior quote, I put like one of the things that, um, well, one of the quotes from the movie, which is you need not worry about the future. Imagine nothing. And yeah, I was like on a yeah. huge Park Chan-wook like yep. kick. Like when I first got into him, like I watched the entire vengeance trilogy, like uh, sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and then uh, lady vengeance as yep. well. Um, I haven't seen, I don't, this is the only, The Handmaiden is the only other movie that I've seen from him. And yeah, there, he definitely has a unique visual style. One of the things that, um, always stands out to me is his use of texture and patterns and like wallpapers and like just the art direction that he has in each of his shots and the very, um, dark, uh, I want to say, like, chiaroscuro that he has when it comes to, like, the cinematography with, um, you know, that he has collab- in collaboration with. Yeah. Um, but his stories always focus on, like, a darker nature of, like, um, the more primal urges of, like, humanity. And, like, they're always, like, <laughs> fueled by, like, violence, rage, um, sex, lust, like, all these different yeah. very, like, because the old boy has those same similar traits, maybe not as much, some more than others in the certain types, of, like in those two different films. But he kind of follows a routine that just works perfectly well with what he's trying to capture and like 
the message he's trying to bring across, you know, yeah, which I, think, I really yeah. appreciate. I think he's really great at blending genres, especially in the Vengeance films. Like, it still has a, a tint of, like, dark humor sometimes. Yep. And yep. You know him when he's, all, yeah, he always has to add a bit of, like, that black humor into the story, even when it's uh, extremely serious. And it does take itself seriously, but there is a little, like, self-awareness that he has in his films, which is what I like. Yeah. He sees a scene that can potentially be used with some humor, but he doesn't overdo it is the good thing, you know? It's just mm-hmm. here and there, and he keeps the flow going. I feel like that's a good trait of uh, a lot of these Korean vengeance films, like Bong Joon-ho and yeah. Parasite and Memories of Murder, both perfectly, like, subtly funny, but also, like, just totally cold and calculated at the same time yeah mm-hmm. like makes you laugh at one point but then you can feel uncomfortable like really uncomfortable the next scene mm-hmm. You're like what the heck i was just, you know like they can they can easily switch it but they don't confuse you with it is what i really like they just keep it going smoothly with yeah it comes off like very naturally and grounded and i think that um like being exposed to south korean filmmaking has like made me want that more from movies because to me that's way more believable and way more immersive than just having like one static tone where yeah. it's like if you're watching like a neo noir like 7 or something like that where it's just like all just like focused in like this one peak like there's no humor like whatsoever yeah yeah whereas like with like um Bong Joon-ho like memories like you were saying Tyler um like and like the host and like all these things and with Park Chan-wook like like I don't know. I just think that it's so um, reflective of, like, life as a whole. Because, like, one moment you could be pissed off that somebody, like, almost hit your car. And then, like, also just, like, laugh about it the next second. Yeah. Like, emotions and, like, the just the way that we feel things. Like, it's all so fluid. And I think that that's an important thing to capture in cinema to make it a more visceral experience. Because it's, like that's the power of cinema like it's the combination of like sonic qualities and like visual stimuli that creates like these very unique experiences that like wash over you and you feel like the all the varying like degrees in between yep and like this the scenes they present like are like certain like, the way, like, you can explain, try to explain an emotion, but they can capture it, you know? Like, he captures an emotion that you're like, whoa, like, you know, until you see it, then you know exactly what he's going for immediately, because it's the first emotion you feel like, you know? And he presents that well, and like, like I said, like, one moment you feel, like, emotional, or the other moment you feel anger, like, he has that within, like, a snap, but, like, not nothing that, like, keeps you off track, like, it keeps the movie on track, and it makes sense of what he's trying to achieve for those emotions. One thing that um, you were saying that reminded me of uh, the, an earlier conversation that we were having, I think it was like, um, I, I think you mentioned it, Tyler, where like at one point you thought you were going to watch like a horror movie during oh, The yeah. Handmaiden. Yeah, yeah. I felt that exact same thing. Like, I loved like, I was like the, the Adam Club. Right <laughs> <laughs> I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> No, like, I love that, because it just always had me guessing. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even if I were to rewatch this again, I would get that same exact set of emotions, like, during, like, those scenes. I feel like this 
this type of movie is definitely my favorite type of movie. Like, I feel like usually when I do choices, because kind of, I, I think I, like, kind of made you, because he gave me, like, three movies, and I was like, nah, let's do The Handmaiden, after, like, reading the synopsis, and I've done, like, Confessions, Memories of Murder, all these, like... <laughs> Korean revenge. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a pattern here. We know what you like. We know yeah. what you like. <laughs> but I don't know. I just think it's like, for some reason, those movies, these types of movies just get me like so into the story. Where this it actually was a lot different too. Like the whole mm-hmm. like erotica part just like totally changes yeah. the... Uh, That's where I'm going to go on my... First I wanted to thank you for picking this so much yes thank you yes yeah, it's a great movie i wanted to shout out to kaylee who also recommended me the movie a long time ago and i never watched okay, it. i'm cool. sorry kaylee <laughs> but uh i want to argue that this isn't not argue but my favorite thing like with the victorian it's based on the novel and like the jane era like horror aspect at the start with the mother and the corpse or the tree i just love the and even in the the film's art design and setting of the the Victorian house next to the traditional Japanese house and all that. He communicated so effectively that I think just like the two houses, he's doing like a same, like it's a thriller, revenge, kind of pretty little liars here and there. But the true film is like a coming out, coming out of the closet, coming of age. Yeah. Queer cinema to me is what I took away from it. For sure. Everything attached to it, like the, the heavy male gaze, the explicit eroticism, but at the end, it's about love. It's such a... I was not expecting that at all right away. But I was hoping the whole time. And I'm, I'm glad it was about love. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The, the movie definitely has its twists and turns. And it definitely has, like, a narrative shift. And it is also told in three parts. So, um, yeah, it helps to, like, separate each section and to remember, like, which part is which where you know they have like a flashback section and yeah just like how when everything ties together it makes so much sense and then when you rewatch it it becomes more like an emotional experience at least for me because i've already seen the film once like when it came out uh about like what five years ago now it came on 2016 um yeah and then watching it again i had a totally more um appreciative uh viewing of it and I liked it so much more seeing it this time around. Um, yeah, yeah, it was really, really great pick. Yeah, I like the. Uh, I also another reason why I love these types of movies. I love when you get like a second part and they go through like a whole the whole first part, yes. and you get to yeah. see all like how you just got tricked. Like each scene, you're yeah. like, motherfucker, I'm an idiot. Because like, <laughs> I kind of had a feeling at the start that there was like something going on, but then I was like, nah. Nah. Oh yeah, that's that's when you know the film really then, captures you. Yeah, and then it, and then I was like, damn, I did get God. Yeah. I, I've done God. God. And I love how like <laughs> each each part is every perspective. Like I love like like the narration is first Suki, and then the second narration is Lady Hideko telling the story, mm-hmm. and the third is the Count telling his story. Like and just like the way they, but it's all the same story, but just a different perspective in each yeah. one. But like. And they each narrate their own parts is what I really liked about that, too. Because then you mm-hmm. really get in tune to what they're doing and what they're saying. And it's like, that was like, yeah, that, like, as soon as part two starts, you, it just automatically, like, goes into it. Like, you see her arrive to the, to the, like, the place, you know, and you're just like, and then you're like, whoa, whoa, this looks all familiar. 
you know, this looks a little bit like familiar to me. And then you start seeing it and it just really captures you. And then you're more sucked in than you were the first time, the first 45 minutes, you know? And then also the whole like irony of the, uh, the book readings and then like watching the movie itself. I just like, I hate that, but I love it at the same time. Cause it's like, I don't know. I feel like you're like, uh, Park Chang Woo is trying to make you feel like, I don't know. And, and some parts like those dudes sitting there, like, yeah, sitting in the audience, yeah, listening yeah. to the story. Like when they were like, and I feel, and you feel, I like, I'm like, no, I'm not. But like, you, like, there's still like some guilt there. I feel yeah. Like, you know, he lets you feel like you're sitting in that room watching it. You know, you're like, you feel like that. I mean, hey, we're all like, there's five guys in this room, you know, <laughs> talking <like>. about the <laughs> Yeah. But yeah, I like that uh, with the, uh, the audience aspect and even like it's based on a novel. It feels like it's teeing up the concepts of like film is like exploitive or hypersexualized. It feels like it's turning that around to like, oh, look at 1930s. They're not sitting around watching porno movies. They're sitting there and they're like these rich a-holes are just sitting there like getting their kicks. Like yeah. there's some other level of eroticism that's yep. pretty out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is crazy. Like it existed before movies. It feels like he's taking a little dig at that, as well as like still pointing the finger at the audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which was another thing that, you, like, when I was first watching it, I had no idea it was leading into that type of aspect of the books. Like, I knew like it was a book collector, but then you start seeing what's going on in there, and you're like, and then part two will hit, and you're, it just immediately changes the whole mood as soon as it flashes mm-hmm. to her being like the, you know, like when shows are being young, and you're just like, it, the whole mood changes the movie. Like but I think also it's cool because it's not like uh, it's not like advertised like a Fifty Shades of Grey. I would say, yeah. Like it's mm-hmm. like you you stumble upon this for sure. Or at least I did. I had no <laughs> fucking idea. Or it's like very natural, and it's just like you do know, that's like a human uh, thing that happens. Do you feel so. like that? Those, I guess, explicit parts of the movie should have been like kind of a warning or like a advertise a bit more before watching. No, like if you, you would you rather be just be surprised and just have people watch it with like yeah a fresh view. Well, I mean, also, I guess yeah, it's just yeah, it's not advertised. Not to say that like the whole like whatever relationship between them is the whole movie, but. Whereas, like, Fifty Shades of Grey, you know what you're going into with Fifty Shades of Grey. Also, because of the whole, like, novel and fandom and everything that led up to that. So, it's completely different. But I just thought it was cool that it's, like, I don't know. It feels way, like, more natural. Yeah. I I think that it feels more natural, too, because you have these two characters who are genuinely just exploring each other's bodies in a way that, like, they weren't able to either through repression, through the times, through the conditions, through social expectations. But here you have like certain moments where they're alone with each other and one of them is supposed to be portraying the person or is supposed to be portraying the count that, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Lady Hideko is supposed to be getting married to. And she's like, oh, like, this is who, this is what they would say, like these sort of things. Yeah. But you can clearly see that they're both discovering the affection that they have towards one another. Which, like, that's a big scene that I wanted to talk about is, like, the first part that you really notice is it, when you notice it is when they're in the bath and she starts grinding down her tooth and there's just that moment where she's just filing her tooth down and they're just staring at each other. Like, right there in that moment, you notice, like, knowing what you know after, like, that was not acted. 
like that was what they were feeling in the moment and like that was when like you're like they started to kind of more second guess their actions and what they were doing you know oh yeah mm-hmm. the the acting in this film is Wow. It's natural. Do you guys know that the um, the actress that plays the handmaid in Suki, this is her feature film debut. Her name is uh, Kim Terry. Mm-hmm. It's her first film that she's ever been in. Uh, so, yeah, it's wow. kind of hard to believe, right? Um, especially since we watched, previously we watched Burning, and that's also another film that features an actress uh, in her first feature film. So, wow, you know, there's like talent that's... Yeah, that's it's out there, and yeah, it's it's really hard to believe with how natural, like you said, um, Arda, with um, that scene itself. Um, yeah, I wanted to touch on what Kevin was saying and Tyler, but like, I appreciated that the like the shocking eroticism aspect of the film was hidden mm. because I feel like again, it's drawing a it's drawing a strict juxtaposition between the two female leads' love for each other with the conventions of like Hollywood and the representation of lesbians to be fetishized where it's like, he's putting that right next to like seedy gross old men who are sitting there reading fetishistic books. And like when you're seeing those scenes, it's extremely uncomfortable when you see the other scenes between two people, it's just your, the feeling I got was like, Oh, it's a representation of there's some crisscrossing over agendas happening, but the true love develops there. And that love feels so separated from the fetishistic stuff, even though it is a film depicting as a male, we're watching a film depicting two lesbian lovers. It's nice to feel like it's not treating it like the other parts of the movie, which are, I feel they're purposely there to go like, like, this is this. We're not trying to do this. Yeah. Like they really were like, he wasn't trying to make those scenes. Like this is the most important part where like, I feel like that's what 50 shades of gray does. Like that's basically, Mm -hmm. they're just going on an endless spree of how much they can do that. But this is more so, like, symbolic, showing, like, this is how they feel, like, in this moment. And it's so early in the film that, like, it implies it right in the beginning. You're just like, this is, like, you know, this is really attraction and true affection going on right now. That And, and it keeps escalating and going through the film, which I really like about it. Because, honestly, halfway through, you, you forget about it. You you don't, that's not even your main part. You know, once you get into certain, like, right. farther along, you're... That's the last thing that was on your mind. You're starting to think more so, like, of how they can, you know, be together and stuff like that and, like, the affection they have for one another, you know? So, yeah, kind of going off of what Patrick said about how, like, it convention, it uh, kind of subverts, like, that conventional, like, the conventional relationship uh, where it's too, well, I don't want to spoil it. I mean, we're kind of getting there. Um, but I kind of didn't really see it as, like, a lesbian relationship. Like, we kind of mentioned it, like, it's kind of belongs more in, like, that queer cinema category. Like, it's not really explicitly said, like, what they identify as. I mean, it's, like, 1930s, right? So, um, yeah, it, it's kind of hard to, like, label this film because, like, labeling it kind of, like, puts it in a box. And it is a mixture of things. And it is, like, this film that has uh, a ton of genres. It's a crime drama. It's a, a love story. It's it's so many different things. Um, but yeah, I do like that it kind of... Uh, it's very suspenseful. Like, you don't know where it's going. And um, yeah, the way that it twists the narrative to make you rethink certain scenes is... Um, 
yeah, it's really uh, breathtaking when you rewatch it again, and it kind of makes me like get up all in my own feelings when I yeah watch those scenes again. But um, yeah, with that being said, we should just yeah give our ratings for the films, so we can just talk about spoilers, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. We're ready to do that. Uh, so yeah, um, we typically do that, and then um, five yeah, we out can of just, or out of five. Five out of five. Well, will you go up to five? Up to okay. five. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, if you got this far and you're interested in the film, definitely watch it. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, And, yeah, if you don't know what the story is about, I'll give a quick synopsis from Amazon. Um, It is a tale about two women, a young Japanese lady living in a secluded estate and a Korean woman who is hired to serve as her new handmaiden, but is secretly plotting with a con man to defraud her of a large inheritance. So, yeah, um, who wants to give the rating first, uh, Tyler? What do um, you think? I'm going to give The Handmaiden a, uh, I'm going to go 4.5 out of 5. 5 out of 5 would be Confessions for me, because I like Confessions a little bit more. Uh, but another thing I was going to say that I loved about this movie is uh, all, like, the callbacks to, like, very important statements or lines like part one, you'll hear like, oh, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, I can't think of one off the top of my head, but you know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Where it's like they like one character said a certain line, like and fully then, ripe. Yes, mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. fully ripe. Um, there was even like better ones than that. I feel like, um, but yeah, and then like in part two, a different character would say it. I think not even knowing that another character said it, to where it was just like. Oh yeah, yeah, it was like an enjoyable callback. That's what I really liked. Yeah, yeah, I like like going to. Sorry, get off track, but like that one scene where he first sees the lady, and he like stutters, and then it goes to him practicing in the room. You know that like he, he oh, just has yeah. no feelings. He's just like like when he says that she looks beautiful, like he's just literally like explaining like when you stutter, how much more like, and then you just realize like. Everything has been an act. Yeah, like that. Mm-hmm. That that scene for me was like I was going Or like, yeah, didn't he say scene. like when she like I remember like spellbindingly beautiful. Mm-hmm. That was one of the ones. Yeah. Like when she was like like about to like yeah you know yeah yeah yeah. yeah. (laughs) watch the movie you'll miss. See like when she said that I was like oh damn like is that gonna come back and then I think it I don't know regardless uh, I really like that aspect. Uh, the music, the cinematography, the twists, everything. Like, this is my type of movie for show. So good pick. 4.5 out of 5. Actually, 4.75 out of 5. I changed that. I'm going to go with 4.25 out of 5. Um, I feel like with additional viewings, I will be able to focus less on the actual figuring out of the narrative and, like, be able to just enjoy it more as an experience. Because this is a movie that definitely requires multiple viewings um, if you if you want to get the most out of it. And I know that this is also a very uh, thought-provoking movie as well. Um, I'm, still, I'm still ruminating on it, too, because I, I just finished it, like, you know, a few hours before we got here. And I'm still, like, processing everything. Um, one of the things that... Uh, I found, or one of the movies that I found myself comparing this to a lot, 
just in terms of the execution of portraying um, a queer relationship, was Blue is the Warmest Color. Um, when I first saw that movie, I felt like a lot of the sex scenes were very gratuitous and also exploitative in a certain way. Um, and I found myself like being distracted by them. I'm like, okay, this is going on for like way longer than I feel is necessary. Um, like it's not serving the plot anymore. And, um, with this movie though, I felt like, although like there is an emphasis on, although there is an emphasis on sexuality and, you know, the liberation of one's desires in this movie, I felt like it wasn't the central focus of it, which I really appreciated. It was just more of a, a naturalistic, um, it was just a section of the spectrum of the movie, which... I wish that more movies would tackle, like, um, one movie that I recently watched that I'm thinking I might suggest for my pick when it comes to it is Betty Blue. Um, that movie, it, it's very sexual and, um, has, like, a lot of focus on that, too, but it's not even the main focus. It's just so, it just blends right into the actual story of two people who are just genuinely in love, and it doesn't become about, it, it doesn't focus on the, um on the risque part of it, where, like, a lot of Hollywood movies tend to do, where it becomes the prime focus of the movie itself and the narrative. Like, one of the movies that comes to mind is uh, Wild at Heart, where it's, like, purely just sex. Like, that's all the movie's about, really. And it's, like, Wild at Heart, like, I don't even think about anything about the story. Like, it's just, when I think of that movie, it's just like, oh, yeah, it's these two characters, and, you know, that's what it is. Whereas with The Handmaiden and, you know, like, uh, Portrait of a Lady on Fire and, like, all these, like, other ones that just have that as part of, like, you know, just, like I said, one part of the spectrum of it all, I think that that is the perfect way to handle, um, you know, exploring those areas of all of our lives and, you know, capturing it on screen because, like, it's a, it's so ingrained in us. Like, it's written into our DNA to have that be a part of us. And, uh, like Pat was saying, like, I really appreciated that, you know, aside from, like, all of these, like, stylistic flares and stuff that would usually be too distracting, um, I, like, I came out of it with a similar mindset, too, where, okay, it genuinely is just about two people connecting. Like, that's it. And, um... I found that to be very grounded and also refreshing to see because um, the movie is like almost three hours long and it doesn't even feel that long. Yeah. Um, it just breezes on by. Yeah. And mm -hmm. that's one thing I've always consistently enjoyed about uh, the direction of Park Chan-wook is that he just can, it's just all straight to the point when it comes to showing you what you need to see and not, uh, sitting on it for too long to the point where you end up forgetting what the original point was even about. Um, it also goes in line with, um, you know, just throwing a lot of things at you for you to just experience and then process later. Um, because once you're able to process the entirety of it later, you get, you know, the actual unadulterated substance that was supposed to be given to you, you know, like it isn't clouded by anything else. And, um, yeah, I, you know, the, although like the visuals were amazing, like I said, 
you know, earlier, this his style of, like, just showing, like, all these different textures and stuff, that's so fascinating. And the compositions, too, they're just so... Every frame could be plucked out and put on display in, like, an art gallery. Mm-hmm. And the sound design was amazing, too. Like, I've never... Like, only, um... Like, I'm comparing this to Portrait of a Lady on Fire probably a lot, but... It's a good um, comparison. It's a good comparison. Yeah, and it, and it's cool, too, because, like, it's it's exploring the female gaze, but also from, like, a male director. It's weird. Um, but um, the sound design is what really stood out to me, too, especially, like, during some of the more quieter scenes mm-hmm. that just between Suki and um, Lady Hideko. Um, like, you hear just, like... It's the bathtub scene. Yeah, and, like... And, like, it sounds weird, but even, like, the spit between them, like, kissing, yeah, like, yeah. like, it's just, like, you can tell that it's, like, fully exploring queer sexuality and just sexuality in general and, like, just connection and all of these, like, quieter moments because it's, like, sex is messy. It's super messy. Like, it's never, like, like, I think that we talked about it in um, the previous episode, Revanche, I think, Richie, you said it, mm. uh, during, like, some of the, it was between, um... Oh, gosh, I'm forgetting their names. Alex. Alex and... and, and um, Susanna. Yeah, and Susanna. Like, during their scene, it was very realistic, and, like, it was just, like, an unflinching take on mm-hmm. that. And I really appreciate that depiction of sex scenes in movies rather than, like, the glorious, like, oh, oh, my God, look at this angle of this person. Yeah, like, yeah Ooh, Look at their, yeah. like, lighting, and it's, yeah. like... Like Brad Pitt and Troy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't need to see and, that so bad. And I think that I think that where um, Handmaiden <laughs> differs from like something like Revanche um, is that Park Chan Wook maintains like this this insane balance between precision and like raw rawness because like all of the shots were flawless, but he also had that naturalistic element to it. I have, I still to this day, like after discovering his work in like high school, I have no idea how he does it. Yeah. And like, and like with every con- with every collaborator he has on the movies, like whatever they're doing, it's purely for the story, and you can tell that it, it, that it is. Yeah. So yeah, like I love this movie, and it's been on my watch list forever. So I'm so glad that you recommended <laughs> it. <laughs> good, because I was like iffy at first, like. Ah. All right, let's pick it. And we were like, good pick. I watched it again. I was like, no, that's a good pick. We're watching it. We're taking that one. Yeah, now it's just one of those films, right? Are you watching, if you want to be like a film director or whatever, you're just wondering to yourself like, hmm, how should I film my sex scenes now? <laughs> yeah. How do I make it an important part of the story? <laughs> this guy's got some angles. <laughs> this guy's got angles. <laughs> um, yeah, so for me... Uh, yeah, I definitely love this movie now more so than the first time I watched it. Um, I'm going to give this film a 4.5 out of 5. I really love more so like the acting than anything. Um, yeah, just like knowing now that like um, it is uh, the actress's film debut, it makes it much more stronger for me. Um Give her a shout out, Kim Terry, and uh, the actress that plays Lady Hidego, um, Kim Min Hee. Oh, damn, I'm saying it all wrong. I know it. Um, yeah, like man, the they pretty much spearheaded the film alongside um, ha, ha Jung Woo, who plays uh, Count uh, Fujiwara, and just the the blend of the languages uh, of Korean and Japanese language. Yeah. Um, 
Man, they do it so well. Like, I can tell when they're speaking Japanese, too. And it, I mean, I don't really watch a lot of Japanese films, but it sounds pretty authentic to me. Because,、um, you know, like when you're watching like Western films, you can kind of tell when they kind of botch certain languages and like the accents and, accents and stuff. And,、yeah. um, but with this film, like it felt、um, very genuine and it, it blended in so well that you're, you're not distracted by it. Um, so, yeah, I thought、uh, that was done really well. Like the writing from、uh, Chung Seo Kyung and、uh, Park Chan Wook, and like the editing by like Kim Sang Bum and Kim Jae Bum. Damn, Korean names are hard to say now that I'm doing all that. <laughs>、um, yeah, everything is just、uh, wow, like top notch.、Uh, you don't really get a lot of films like this. It's really rare. Like, you can show this film. At any point, at any era. Like, this film can belong in like, those classic movies that you can show on TV. Yeah. And,、um, yeah, like, it's funny because I actually knew someone growing、uh, in college that、uh, pretended to be Korean. They changed like, their last name, and for a long time I thought that they were Korean because of their last name. And I found out that they were Vietnamese. And I was like, man, this is actually a thing. Like, Because a part of the plotline of the story yep, is yep. a person not wanting to be Korean and they, you know, they wanted to be Japanese. And we are kind of in that era now, like, where transracial is a thing, which is kind of strange. Like, I don't know if you guys heard of that. I, where, I don't, yeah, down it. Yeah, yeah where, never, that's crazy. Yeah, where a person is saying, like, no, I am not of this ethnic,、uh, ethnicity. I am this, Filipino、yeah. or I am Japanese, really. And then they go through extreme lengths to like, change their appearance so that they can be that thing. Yeah, that's really. <laughs> I like that they, this film kind of touched upon that topic for a little bit and it just made me think of that. Because,、um, yeah, that's actually a thing. And I think it's, it's still pretty rare, but I mean, who knows, right? It's a thing. Yeah.、Um, But yeah, I love how everything comes together in this film. I love that it's much more powerful in certain parts because you get more context of the way the characters feel about each other. And、um, it does fill you in on like, why、uh, certain lines are said or certain things are happening. Because at first, I was kind of confused. And then when, when、um, they do that callback, It hits you much more so the second time. You're like, oh wow, that really, yeah, they really got to me. And that's when you know that this film is really, really d- doing its job. And、um, yeah, I mean, Park Chan Wu can't, can't really miss at this point in his career.、Um, yeah, I'd say, man, it's really hard to compare him to like a director in Hollywood. But I'd say like, he's just a much more better, like, more souped up version of Quentin Tarantino. And as much as I qu- like Quentin Tarantino, like, he, has, he certainly has his flaws. And he certainly has things about him that's very problematic. I'm not saying Park Chan Wook is perfect either. There are scenes where you're kind of wondering, like, is, is this too much? Is this too explicit? Is this going on too long?、Um, You know, how does this serve the story in terms of like the explicit nature of the our two lead characters? Because、um, I do wonder that to myself,、um, especially being that, yeah, it is very, very hard on the male gaze. And yeah,、um, 
but it, yeah, I, I think that has a, there is a point to it and it does belong in the story. And it's very rarely when they do have those sex scenes that like you're wondering to yourself, is this pointless or is there like, is there more? And I think in this story there, there is definitely a point to it. So yeah, 4.5 out of 5. I'm going to give it a uh, 4.5 out of 5 as well. Uh, I just love, uh, this is a personal grievance of mine, but I this film was great because it felt like a, a queer cinema film that isn't like most contemporary Hollywood films that are trying to be that, uh, signaling that it is that for like to exploit market forces or communities. It feels like it's its own film that is, fits into the wider scope of queer cinema. It's a tight, thrilling film, and it just uh, touches on an underrepresented community that is often capitalized on for market gains, it feels like. So I just have a deep admiration for the film and our talk about it. I'm going five out of five, just like T6. <laughs> uh, Wait, no, T6 said 4.75 out of five. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I'll go five out of five. It's up there with Old Boy. Um for me, I mean, there's just endless parts of the film that I can that I can just bring up from the cinematography to the dialogue, screenplay, everything about it. But I think more so just down to like the basic, it's just like, it's a good love thriller. I don't know how else to explain that. Like it's a, it's, it's a drama, but it's a love film, but it gives you all the, all the certain feelings of a thriller. You know, you're up, you're suspensed, you're there, you're watching every single minute of it. But really, at the very end of the like film and the things you can see is just like it all comes down to just compassion and affection between two people and that they're willing to go through different lengths and different extremes. Like as we talk about like how you were talking about like uh, Quentin Tarantino and stuff like we see how they're both like there's the scene where um, they're both at dinner. It's the Count and Lady Hideko at dinner and it shows um, as it shows her getting like her like elegant dessert and stuff at the same time it transfers to like suki eating the rice ball where she finds the cricket in it you know and it really symbolizes like that she just completely still is like thinking about her and thinking about the situation environment she's in and i really like like that's really like i like i don't know why that scene i like so much because when you said quentin tarantino i thought about that one because he really always captures food like that and I felt like... And uh, feet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Interchangeable. Everyone knows, yeah, everyone knows about the feet thing, but... Um, yeah, and the, just, like, the the way of the film, like, the part one, two, and three, like, the only other person that I really like that does that is uh, Alejandro Naruto Gonzalez. Yeah. He did that with Amores Perros, like, mm, really well. Classic. Really well. And uh, that was, like, one thing that I was really relating to when I first watched the film, which I think those films just really capture me, just getting different perspectives because that's one thing I always want to see in films is like, you know, I always wonder that no matter what, even though they may not give it to me all the time, I always wonder what perspective the other character was doing or going through. And so when I was first watching that movie, it really captured that for me. So I really enjoyed it and just everything that it had, like the texture, the cinematography, like the bright scenes, you know when there's going to be a certain scene of lust and a certain scene of affection going on or you know when there's going to be a scene of darkness and everything because he captures it very well like with the lights flickering as she's reading her books and everything like that it really symbolizes like the darkness of what's going on in that room and just certain scenes like that like i really appreciate because it's the little things like that that like like 
I know it's like really like part of the sexual thing, but like in the film, they're talking about the symbolic, the symbolism about the balls that the golden metal ones that they're talking about in the story as she's reading it, and it comes to to be the one that she has at the very end when they both, you know, the climactic scene at the very end when they both have it, and it's like describing the story that she had read earlier in the film. So I felt like there was just a lot of foreshadowing and stuff in that film that I really liked, and that, like you said, like you have to watch it multiple times to even pick it up. Like I didn't pick it up the first time and then now watching it the second, my third time, I, I realize there's so much he put in there. Like he wants you to watch this again, the clues that he puts in there, the things that are just so just really quick, you know, and then you come back and watch it and it's probably one of the biggest messages they could have had in the film. So I don't know. I four, uh, five out of five for me. Cause the excitement I had from first watching that, I'm, I'm not going to forget watching that movie. That was Amazing. All right. So, uh, yeah, let's move on to spoilers. So yeah, let's talk about part one of The Handmaiden. Um, man, yeah, I just love how like quickly the story started off. Um, because they certainly fill you in later on about what's actually going on. I like that they just kind of just put you in Suki's shoes um, and put you there. And right away, she has her job, and you don't know how she got there, but they'll explain it later. And they do explain it because it was all going to be a um, a heist of sorts to rob this woman of her fortune, basically using her name and her inheritance to escape from their um, from the poverty that they they live in. Uh, well, especially for Suki, but for the count. He's already in a superior position, and um, yeah, he's probably the most wretched character besides the uh, uncle that we haven't spoken about yet. I think the uncle's the worst. I had a comment about the uh, the last scene of the film, but I'll wait. I'll wait for that. <laughs> I'm glad we didn't bring that up. Like, that was. Uh, yeah, because that's a significant part of the story. Yeah. Where, yeah, because we learn later that the uncle um, wants to marry his own niece. Yeah, and uh, yeah, man, yeah, just so much about like that relates to things that happen in Hollywood as well. Just like the grooming of um, young girls before they become women, yeah. and how they feel like those women are like naive and wholesome and they don't know anything about the world but they actually do they have they're underestimated and i love that about lady hideko where she can put on this face and pretend that she's helpless or that she doesn't have knowledge or she doesn't have power when she does um i think she yeah, um her character was played brilliantly Yeah, I think that even during the initial interactions between Suki and Lady Hideko, um, there was one scene where she was saying, 
Oh, yeah, it was referenced when uh, Suki is first brought to the house uh, by sort of the elder, or I think by one of the other housemaids. Um, she's saying, like, oh, like, so-and-so, like, stole this thing, and oh, like, this person stole that, and, like, basically, like, giving her the lay of the land, and then when they first meet, um, Lady Hideko is like, yeah, I don't care if you steal, or you do all these other things, just don't ever lie to me, and you can tell that (laughs) she knows, like, right off the bat, I mean, like, if you don't think she knows, like... There's at least, like, a hint. of, And she's very, like, nice to her, like, in the beginning. Like, one thing that I really like about that in the beginning is, like, there's that scene where she wants to go do her reading or her practice. And, like, it's, like, she goes through seven different drawers revealing all the gloves she has, leading her to the very top one. She grabs the one she wants. It's, like, already showing, like, the elegance and, like, how much she has and, like... It, that scene for me, like, I really like a lot when it just shows her, like, sh- sh- like shuffling through every single one of those gloves. Yeah, that definitely adds, like, a lot of context to Lady Hideko's, like, character just as a whole and how precise she is. And, um, oh yeah, you mentioned the reading scene. That was one other portion that I really started to get hooked at was um, when the Count was, you know, first meeting up with all of these um, people who were made up of the lower class and is basically scheming to get Lady Hideko placed in 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 an insane asylum after marrying her and like yeah. getting all of her inheritance, and then it's immediately uh, juxtaposed to Suki reading the letter that she was given. You know, she already has full knowledge of like the contents of it, yep. and here she is like stuttering, like, "Oh no, oh, does this say uh, chopsticks or does it say spoon?" Yeah, and you can just tell that, like, she's not a good liar. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, and Lady Hideko is just, like, right on top of it. And I just really enjoyed the, the subterfuge that is already set into place at the very get-go of the story. Like, it's about uh, creating false leads, um, leading people down, like, a maze of figuring, like, oh, oh, is it going to go in this? Is it going to lead out through here? No. Oh, it backtracks, and then it goes back this way. Oh, nope, nope. That's just another, like, false lead. Yeah. Like, and it, it felt very much like a like a, like a a narrative labyrinth, in a sense. Yeah, I love, uh, I love the labyrinth nature of it and how it hooks you. Like, each part is very segmented until, like, it feels like it changes genres, kind of. Between each one, or the first one is like, yeah, it's kind of, it's very much Victorian feeling, like novella, or not novella, novel, about like, oh, like the, there's the power dynamic, the forbidden love, like, how's this going to play out? But also the undercurrent of the con, like, oh, is the love going to come into conflict with her desire to elevate from low class to comfortable? And you're sitting there thinking that, and by the time part one ends, you feel the quick betrayal and then you're sitting there. I remember I was frantically like, hold on, okay, how is this going to work out still? Because I immediately got like Pretty Little Liar vibes, I think. It's that old 90s movie. They kind of had like the double cross nature in it. I was like, oh, there has to be double cross. Like their love was true, right? Like, right? Because yeah. you're so much in the. Uh, how do you pronounce her name again? Suko? Suko? Suki. 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 Yeah. You're so much in Suki's shoes in that first part. Again, like with the internal monologues, very much like a novel. It's so nice to see, like, oh, like, oh, she's not acting to be like in love. Like, she's getting a weird fascination with the the lady, 
and yeah, just the whole part felt like, I feel like at the beginning of another movie and then the second part starts and then like, yeah, we're in a more Tarantino-esque. Yeah. Like a... Complete 180 type of thing. Yeah, we're in a different kind of tone film. I'm making Epstein connections all over again. My brain's oh, broken. Yeah. <laughs> See that? Yeah, I was waiting for Pat to bring up the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a late film episode unless I <laughs> talk about Epstein. <laughs> except, except if you actually watch uh, Park Chan Wook's uh, Vengeance trilogy, um, you're going to start calling it Chan Wook esque now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this this man is a an auteur. He's a master at it, at his craft, in my opinion. Um, yeah, he really knows how to like rip you with this story. Like uh, again, like with other directors, like Bong Joon Ho, like he knows how to uh, mesh the genres together and combine this as a love story and a crime drama heist story as well. And you kind of want to root for someone to win because they are stuck in this path that they'll probably most likely never break away from unless they succeed at this heist, right? Um, yeah, and obviously we want uh, Suki and Lady Hedekil to come out okay, and we don't know um, how that's going to turn out because these uh, these men have so much power over them, and they're the, one who, they're the ones who are dictating... Um, the story and there's they're dictating like all these objectives that they have to complete in order uh, for them to get what they want and I like that we're kind of like thrown in for a loop uh, when we get to to part two and and to part three Uh, even uh, like I watched this film when it first came out like yeah a while ago like 2016 and yeah, there's still some story beats that I totally forgot, and I'm like, oh man, how did they get there? Like, how how does this tra- transition happen? And um, I really appreciate that uh, Park Chan Wook uh, utilizes the flashbacks really well because he's the type of director like when he utilizes flashbacks, it isn't just because he makes us feel like um, unintelligent. He actually uses flashbacks to give uh, give the story much more like um, like. Uh, an, an enrichment i guess where like oh yeah you know remember this scene like when, when you're watching it again in this flashback it has so much more power to it there's so much more emotion that you're gonna feel like the the um the bathing scene when um she's helping her file her tooth like man there, there's so many emotions that you feel there because you know that that's genuine and um you just feel it in their eyes and just like the close-up shots and the extreme close-ups and like yeah, it's supposed to be very sensual, but like you really feel their like connection becoming much more intimate, yeah. and that's what I really loved about that. Like some flashbacks don't really work, but for this film, it does it really, really well. There is the scene right after that where she's talking to the count, and uh, it shows her on the bed, and she still has the filing thing on her thumb. Yes, and that part I was like. Oh, what the heck? That was just like, I forgot about that scene. That was a oh yeah, yeah. scene. She still yeah, has it on yeah. her. I remember that. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. She keeps it as like a memento. Yeah, and she yeah. She kind of that's when you too. really signify like, oh, she kind of really still cares about it. Like, it's not a, you know, this this isn't like going through with the plan. Like, she would, you know, like that's yeah. signifying a big thing. It's not superficial. That it became more more to her. Yeah. Yep. And, I, and I like during the entire first act how understated 
um, the initial motivation of Suki's character is. Like, we see that she's in this very um, weathered down, it almost looks like a shack of a house. Yeah. And, like, you see, like, people with, like, bad backs, like, they're, you know, trying to make ends meet. And then here you have this count come in being, you know, coming off or coming out with, like, the the perfect heist, so to speak. And then you almost forget about that during the interactions that Suki has with Lady Hideko. And then during the scenes with the Count, you're reminded of it in just the subtlest of ways. Like, it's just, like, in quick little hushed, uh, like... 10 second conversations of like hey remember like do this you know that way i can get alone with her you know yeah. for this and then you're like oh shoot like i almost forgot like yeah she's doing it for this reason yeah. like and then you see her like double down on the efforts to go through with the plan even though she has like a very uh, it, it's 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 almost like a wavering sentiment towards whether or not she wants to uh, you know, sell out this potential connection that she has, uh, you know, for the betterment of the people that she was initially going into it for. And I, I like I said, I just really appreciate how understated that entire section of it is. Cause I, I usually see it. And I mean, cause a lot of movies and stories like have, you know, their own take on that where it becomes sort of a, a focal point for the entire narrative. Um, I think that by letting it breathe and not putting too much emphasis on it, it makes it all the more believable. And I find that to be much more immersive in my experience watching it. Yeah, I keep I keep uh, wanting to go back to the... Uh, I like how this movie's not, like, advertised like a Fifty Shades of Grey or even like a full-on, like, I don't know, like erotica film at all. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like when you stumble upon it and it, like, it feels much more natural. And I even think, like, uh, certain people could, like, benefit from, like, stumbling upon something like this. You know, like, people who, like, say, like, whatever, like, you don't believe in, like, whatever, like, gay marriage or whatever. I feel like it's like, oh, yeah, like, this could just be, like, a natural, like, feeling a regular human could have for another human. Yeah, like, we're all capable of experiencing it. You know, it's not like there's no like there's no like whatever like devilish sinning demon or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, like this is wrong. There's not yeah. like a, this is wrong. It's more so like or like no one's being exploited. Not, be, yeah, yeah, kind of like when you when you automatically hear like Brokeback Mountain, you already yeah. know it's going to be a love story yeah. between two yeah. men, right? Because that's just. That's just been beaten down already, mm-hmm. like, th- all the time. That's the only thing people took apart from that film. Mm-hmm. And Dude, there's that so movie much made more. me cry. Which I, I heard it's a, I, I, which I heard that movie's actually amazing. I need to actually I've never seen it. I heard it's family. actually an amazing film. Shit, we should, we should discuss that movie. That movie is so fucking good. There's two movies that oh I need to God. watch that are, like, are both in that type of realm. It's like Brokeback Mountain, and then I heard Call Me By Your Name is, like, amazing, too. Those are two movies that I need to definitely touch on. Um, but I also have said, I keep saying this too, is like this type of movie where like you play with the genre and there's just twists and it always keeps you guessing. I just feel like this is like what we need in, in Hollywood more of. Oh yeah. You don't ever, you never see anybody play with, play with genre in Hollywood. Like if you're going to the movies, you're going to like, like the green Knight, even the green Knight. like you go to the green Knight, there was no like play with genre it was just like 
That was yeah. definitely a genre piece. Yeah, yeah. It's and like if you watch touched on one tale, and or if like it's a comedy, it's a comedy. If it's a yeah. thriller, like even like like Shutter Island, like yeah. Shutter Island is just a thriller. There's no, which is why I always say I, like it's still I'm, a good movie. I'm but. a big fan of more so foreign films. I feel like they they don't have a mold. They broke that mold years ago, and they will just go for anything. Like mm-hmm. there's a film called Mustache. It's a French film that's like fantastic. It's about a guy with a mustache, but right now you may <laughs> sound, awesome. might sound weird, but then you start watching the film and you're like, oh, that movie's pretty good. It looks pretty crazy. Like These people <laughs> took an idea, thought it was crazy, ran with it. Over here, we're like, we just, you know, like, I don't know, like, and look at the first film to really come over here. Like, when's the last time you saw a Korean film really come over to the States besides Parasite? Like, and then it wins Best Picture. It wins be- all these, like, mm-hmm. wow. The first time that we actually get something in the film where people can read subtitles and, like, you know, be open-minded about a certain film, like, and it wins Best Picture. It's like, I feel like those films have always been going on and, like, they're just getting better and better. And, like, I don't know. Like, that film is a, like, I put that film in the theaters right now. I mm-hmm. guarantee you people would be like, that's an amazing film, like. Yeah, you know, like, and when The Handmaiden came out, it had a bunch of nominations, but it did not get a single uh, Oscar nomination mm-hmm. at all. It took a long time for Korean films to um, break the mold, and uh, unfor- you know, it unfortunately took a long time. But Parasite definitely helped, yeah, break those barriers. And hopefully, we keep. Yeah, I mean, The Handmaiden probably just as good, right? Um, that would have been out, you know. Like that's that's what I'm saying. Like a lot of that, like you know, we're just so into just if it's american made it's going on the tell you know over like i feel like other countries are like we'll take anything from anywhere as long as it's captivating and interesting i I wanted to touch on something too um you uh tyler and ardo were both mentioning um you know the blending of genres and uh one genre that i feel does not have i don't know it's like so hit and miss for me is horror like, because I feel like horror, to me, does best when it's incorporated into other genres. Like, yeah. when it's an element of it, rather yeah. than the prime focus of it. Yeah. Like, um, the most recent horror movie that I watched, like, I did a rewatch of it, was The, the, was, uh, the Thing. Oh, yeah. And I feel like that movie excels so much in horror, just because it's so much more beyond that. Like, it's more of a whodunit type movie and it's a thriller it's a mystery it's like all these other things but because of like the sheer existential horror of it like that's like the that's like the icing that seals everything in and i feel like that's what makes it like such a quintessential horror movie yeah and you know speaking of like you know going back to like the handmaiden it blends all of these different genres like thriller uh mystery too and um uh love and like all these other different genres and um i definitely agree like you know more mainstream cinema like more mainstream cinema could benefit from you know watching or taking a note from foreign movies or even more uh independent movies or anything really just incorporating more flavors into the mix while also not saturating them too much or using too little yeah. like you have to maintain that balance it's almost like cooking in a way yeah 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 the lighthouse did a really good job at that like mystery thriller you know some horror mm-hmm. things like that like that movie has a good amount of genre, like genres in it too i'm afraid there's like a new there's like a new genre of a24 genre where it's it's one thing but then it's weird and 
gory or like yeah. hype or something else. Yeah. And it's like, oh, like, that was neat. But they're, they're, <laughs> I think it's it's cool because they are making their own genre because they're not going against they're going against the grain of what people would normally pitch during you know a regular a movie that you want. They're, they're definitely like, going no, against I the like, Hollywood like, style for like, sure. Like Lamb, I would say. Mm-hmm. Like that, have you guys seen? I the really want to see Lamb. Yeah, yeah way, way out of you know, it's very obscure, but I, that I want to watch it. That yeah. captures my mind. Yeah, and man, like it, they're it, just going for those ideas, the ideas. It's like, or hey, like the no, lobster. This would be yeah, like this would be less than the dark. Like let's give it a chance. And some of the movies I've been given chances to are just yeah, some like, of the best movies I've seen. You know, like, Lamb is doing a subgenre which is folk horror, and there's not a lot of folk horror, right? Like how. When was the last time you watched like a folk horror movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that movie's definitely one in the books like that. That's even the trailer itself. You're like, that's mystery horror. Mm-hmm. Some love, I guess. I don't know what she's loving, but like, yeah, it's almost kind of like a Rosemary's Baby. Yeah, okay. Ooh. Yeah. We were talking about that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Tyler, oh, uh, you mentioned that like that's your least favorite kind of a uh, scary movie is the Demonic Possession. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, See, but like lame. I like what you're saying. Like <laughs> when we're talking about blending of genres, like I, you will never catch me buying tickets to a straight horror movie ever. You know, but if you if you like a movie like this, like not with like the whole like erotica thing, but like say like I go into this movie and it's actually a horror movie, but I don't know it. Maybe I'll like it. Because yeah. Parasite had elements of horror, yeah, too. Yeah, it did. They had some pretty... I do like movies that have, like, slight elements of horror, but, yeah, I don't want to just go watch, like, Insidious or Hereditary. whatever. Hereditary. any of that shit. Which I still like, think was a pretty good film, though. Paranormal but Activity. Yes, were... <laughs> well, I know just a movie for you when I pick next, right? <laughs> That's how you guys will get me hooked. Yeah, you're just going to start picking horror movies. And I'm like, fuck, I got to watch it for the podcast. I got to get you to love horror movies, Tyler. I got to get you to be open to it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, we got Halloween coming up. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. You guys we didn't do a Halloween. Oh, wait, we did a Halloween special. We did a, a girl walk. So yeah, a girl walk. Night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how, okay, so sick. how did you feel about that one then? That wasn't horror at all. I don't think. Okay. It had like. I mean, it, it is yeah. a horror. It had film, like. Though. It had like. I feel like. Uh, like hints of like. Vampirism. Like old school. Like yeah. Like uh, Nosferatu. Who made that flame like plan B or like a? Uh, it was yeah, Anna. Was it? It was like same girl who made um. Anna Lily Armour. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah she, you should watch that. You would yeah. really like. She made another like film. I think it was like bad something. Ba- uh, I still listen yeah. to that song from the that movie all the time. Bad Batch. Oh, it's like yes. that. Like, that was uh, fucking That was a high school. Very yeah. good. <laughs> Very good. But, yeah. Well, now, I'm, now that you said that, Tyler, when I'm picking next, I'm going to pick Possession. That's going to be the next one. Oh, dude, know Possession right is so good. I'm pretty sure I've seen that one. It's Ooh. pretty good. You should watch it. Dude, you would love it. You would love it just for the wackiness of it too. Yeah, like, and it's it is not what it sounds like. It is. It's it's like, yeah. If you whatever you choose, I'll watch it. If it's The Shining, I'll watch it. I actually yeah. want to watch The Shining. Yeah, the Shining it came out a year after The Shining came out. So, oh sweet, yeah. Possession, mm, top notch. Yeah, it's like a proto late film. It's like the first time I hung out with Richie. At- Kevin's? I don't think we knew each other that well back then. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah we all watched it. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. I brought, like, the Possession Blu-ray, right? It was, like, 
Yeah, it was like 50 bucks <laughs> that I got online, and I was so happy to like be one of the few people that owned it. <laughs> it's time to initiate Tyler. Yep. yep. Yeah, we gotta initiate you into that film. Just throw me into the fire, dog. Dude, I used to be so judgmental in horror films, but then it's like, dude, some of the best films I've seen are horror films. <laughs> like, <laughs> they make you feel certain. I mean, I'm not gonna like, say, like, you put on a horror movie, I can't keep my eyes off it. That's another reason why like, I don't like watching horror. I showed movies. you Raw. Oh, you Raw. Raw? Oh, yeah, Raw is fantastic. Raw is <sighs> fantastic, and he was like, but he was into it, and he's like, it was so good. But I was just like, <laughs> yeah, that movie. Oh. Have you seen Raw? No. And, and again, Raw oh. is that movie kinda, made me want to like not yeah. eat meat. That was gonna for, be like, a, a month. that was gonna be a, another one I was gonna pick. That was that actually would have been a really think, good pick. I think yeah. that film is a good yeah. comparison to The Handmaiden as well because I mean no spoilers at all but it's also yep. slight undercover queer cinema as well. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. That that movie and that movie I went in completely blind. I had no idea what it was. Maybe we should do because like of the trailer. Vampire. Or, I mean because of the poster. October. And yeah. I clicked on it I was like well, <laughs> or just Great, really good That's movie. a movie you guys should do is Raw. Raw yeah. is fantastic. It's a French film. Yep. It's it's very, very good. good yes, very good French film. Yeah, that shit was fucking. Yeah. <sighs> that was like, yeah. <sighs> that was like when I started getting into all the. Yeah, if you can handle that film, yeah, it was yeah, like a really great horror. That's what I was telling him. Like, it was a fucking struggle. For like, that movie, sure. like, okay. the movie's good. But that's a good movie. Like when you're, it's like. I just if if I can still sleep like that movie I could sleep but like when I was watching it I was like squirming. Yeah. You know but I could still sleep. Yeah. It's like movie. if you start doing like demonic possession, then I think there's gonna be a fucking. I got a basement under my house. Okay? I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what demon that comes into my fucking room. I wonder, I wonder what you would think of climax. Because that oh, is like man, a so for weird. sure dance horror movie, in my opinion. Oh my gosh, I need don't. I, that's Gaspar No, I need to watch that mm-hmm. one. I was, I'm still on that just one. They just put one. it on Prime. What do you guys have just got to pick they one? They just put just, it on Prime. And you guys got to branch me it? out. It's for the experience alone, it's okay. well worth watching. I mean, Enter the Void and all those were like, you know, like Irreversible. Mm-hmm. You want a movie that's a horror film, but it's not a horror film? Irreversible is messed yeah. up. <laughs> There was a scene. Yeah. yeah, I watched yeah. that last year. Yeah, yeah it was kind of sickening, but I like yeah. it. <laughs> it's that's that's like <laughs> real life horror. It's, it's messed up, but it's good. <laughs> or any similar. any of um, I think his name. Mich- I, I don't know Michelle if it's Michael. Hanukkah? Yeah, Michelle Hanukkah. Yeah, yeah. Any of his movies? Oh my god! Like they're they're not horror movies, but they are, <laughs> and it's very disturbing movies. Like. Especially with like funny games, even the piano teacher, I would consider oh, yeah. is like funny games is definitely a horror film, but like it's it's so much more than that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a huge comment, yeah, yeah. And yeah. any any, it's funny because he made his own version, an original version, and he made a what American version, mm-hmm. but he directed it also. So it's and it's like, like shot for shot, yeah. <laughs> so it's, he, yeah, he's definitely saying something by remaking his own film, <laughs> but as an English language <laughs> film. Yeah, I liked it so much. I just wanted another. Yeah, yeah we like, haven't even gotten into Cronenberg either. And oh, like, Videodrome. Oh, Secret that Cronenberg or is that? Maybe oh, yeah. we should do like we he's, should just start doing months for like horror. Oh, maybe yeah, they're both really great. Yeah, that we that just body start talking about. Would you consider Eraserhead? Oh yeah, it's a horror oh, yeah. film. Yeah, yeah definitely. It's that like the, the horror of parenthood. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's Cron- David Lynch too, right? That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, David Lynch. Yeah, yeah. Cron- that movie. Cron- oh, dude, yeah. the sound design in that movie dude. is easily would consider but even the cinematography movie. in that movie. There's some scenes that were just so like they were ahead of their time. Mm-hmm. Like where he starts throwing the things against the wall, you know, you know what scene? Like, oh, that yeah. scene. I was like, that is that's amazing. Like that's very it's like so that visceral. Was, yeah. I don't know. Like he's ahead of his ahead of his time. He yeah. can make you feel weird. Cronenberg yeah. is like coming out with a new film, Crimes of the Future. So another sci-fi, probably horror, and has Viggo Mortensen. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> coming, so. Didn't his son come out with one? Uh, Possessor. Yeah, I've been wanting to that watch that. Movie. I watched that when it came out on BOD. Great film. His yeah, his son is yeah has come out with similar films to Cronenberg. So he's yeah, sci-fi horror is really great. Film's alive and well, which is not in the U.S. It seems yeah. like. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why we got late film. We're ready to blow up, team. <laughs> Put you on movies you never even heard. Yeah. So um. Shit. Yeah. Let's get to part uh, two and three of um, the Handmaiden. Um, I mean, we kind of touched on part two a little yeah. bit. Already. What about the um? So the whole scheme behind how um. They were trying to get away from uh, uh, Uncle Hazuki. It's a con inside of a con inside of a con yeah, inside of a con. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, Kazuki. I'm sorry, yeah. Kazuki. Yeah. Um, Him licking the ink. Oh my god! Yeah. I loved all the octopus references to mm-hmm. him. Yeah. yeah. It's that guy was. I didn't catch that though until like. You see the octopus, oh, yeah. and I was like, in the, in "Oh, the no third wonder. act, yeah. Yeah. yeah, in the basement." It was so it's creepy. Through all like mm-hmm. the throughout the film, even like there's like art depicting it and stuff. It's definitely mm-hmm. like I said, another foreshadowing is like stuff like that. They put that in there, um, like in part three. Was it part three where it shows the ant and like sh- how you were talking about quotes that are recited again? Is it the mom or the aunt? She recites like the same exact thing about the mother to the maid, where she opens up the thing. She's like, "Do I look like my mom?" Or oh like, yeah, or yeah, like yeah. the mom did this. Remember, Lady Hideko mm-hmm. does it in the very beginning, and then it shows the mom like before. I'm pretty sure she, you know, the tree part. Mm-hmm. Pre- she recites the exact same thing, like asking the maid the exact same question. So I was like, that part was really significant mm-hmm. too. I was like, whoa, it's another quote brought up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did it like eight to ten times, yeah. I feel like. Yeah, and I like the noose foreshadowing in part one when they run under it real quick. And mm-hmm. I remember thinking, like, oh, is that like a little, did they leave that there? Is like a little, like, we're leaving forever mm-hmm. note? And then in part two, I think, you figure out, like, oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And then, yeah, even the the mother's style of death goes into that story about the is it lady juliet or the with the yeah mm-hmm. the duke putting the glass the noose around the gentleman's neck yeah and the puppets suspended by ropes yeah because they were talking about specifically and that scene like the page was ripped it was ripped out so then like he's like you know before i make an offering and then he gives a depiction of the actual scene that was ripped out and then they're like he's like all right now we can start the offering i was like wow god that entire act two was just disgusting (laughs) i think the uh the most powerful scene in the whole movie is is in act three when uh suki and hareka like decide to team up and then like there's like that bird's eye view or like bird's nest view from up above when they're like burning all his books and throwing them all in the water yeah. with like that that 
score in the background too. I was just like, oh, this is like she puts chef's kiss. This is like, yeah. 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 To me, it like kind of represented like them both um, overthrowing the patriarchy that was like assessed over yeah. the entire lineage. Yeah, they were just I, like both liberated and mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Get help getting rid of her past. Basically, I, I love the part where she stops Lady Hideko from hanging herself just because mm-hmm. like she knew that her feelings for her were authentic, but like she didn't want to keep going through with this whole con because like you know she's hurting, you know she's hurting her and like she just doesn't know how to escape. You know she felt yeah. trapped. Yeah, that and, seems crazy too. Yeah, and I was like, man, I'm just welling up in so many different scenes. And well, I think uh, before that too, like when Lady Hideko's like slapping her and stuff, she's like wanting Suki to like basically like Professor love for her. Yeah, and then she does it, and she knows she's like they you will, both, you or love, she knows that she's lying. Yeah, you will love the count. Like and you will tell him. She's yeah. like, she's like, bitch, you're still going on with the fucking lie, even though she's still going on with the lie. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they both admit it in that scene with the truth. Yeah, she's like, think, I'm like, playing you, but yep. you're, you're playing me, but I'm actually playing yeah. you. She's like, <laughs> even actually, though I was about to kill yeah. Even though I'm kill playing myself, myself also. Yeah. <laughs> I'm about to play myself. Like, <laughs> it's a, what is the Rick and Morty episode? It's like, you're in a multiverse inside yeah. a multiverse. You're inside, inside of a, a simulation. Inside, inside of a simulation. simulation. <laughs> inside of a simulation. Inside of a simulation. No, yeah, that scene's significant too because, like, she admits everything that's going on, and then she's like, well, I actually knew this whole time, and I actually was going to send you to the asylum. Oh, and yeah, and like that, that part where she sends her away was so, like, sad. I'm like, no. Dude, I know, but then part three yeah. kicks in. Remember, and that's the planned. end of part yeah. two. Yeah. That's the end of part two. She puts on the glove, and she's like, let's go, or whatever. But, like, then part three, you're like, oh, she's... Okay, she so for the end of, like, stuff. midway through part two, like... Like what Pat says, like the whole like Babe Ruth thing. I knew that was gonna happen. Oh yeah, you're like, I Babe Ruth that from days ago. Yeah, like, they love each other. Right? Well, when you watch yeah. it, it sucks because there's only so much ways you can go with those films. So if you start to catch a certain pattern in a film like that, you're gonna be like, oh. But you never know. Still, it always keeps. I like being on my toes. Like actually, this is totally off subject. But Kevin, there's an episode of Sopranos at the end of season five where they like. Basically, it's like a whole dream sequence of yes. Tony. Yes, yes, I and know like, exactly. Yeah, dude, the whole I didn't even because like I then that episode ends and then I go to the whole next episode. And like the whole next episode, I'm like questioning everything if it's real mm-hmm. and like what's real and what's not real. And mm-hmm. once it gets you do you that in the mindset of the characters, so yeah, much, like, yeah, they do that with Mr. Robot as well. It like immerses you way deeper into. Uh, uh, yeah, I think there was an episode of Mr. Robot where they. I don't. I think they do a callback to the Sopranos where they're like in the snow, and they're just walking there together. Oh like, yeah, there's an episode. Yeah, I think like I think that. that's a, I think that's an, an intentional callback to the Sopranos. I'm not sure, but oh, dude, Christopher and Pauly. <laughs> it's like one yeah, of the funniest. There was an episode oh, where they do one. that. Dude, oh, I watched it with you. Yeah, yeah, put it on yeah. for you. Dude, Kevin Finnerty is one of my favorite characters from Sopranos. I think that's his name. Is that the actor's name? Or? Oh no, that's the character's name of Tony or I think that that's his alter ego in the dream mm. Kevin yeah I think his name's Kevin Finnerty I don't know if I caught that maybe I was too tired when I watched it, it was, or maybe I haven't got to that point yet I'm pretty sure that that's the that's his name but um yeah like I I really enjoy like those those types of sequences because it gets you to detach from the overall narrative and like gets you to focus more on like the inner struggles and like the actual uh, themes and content mm-hmm. of like what's going on because like 
just being presented like with this potential shift in life that he could have versus yeah. the one that he's currently, you know, the reason why he's in that state, like without giving away too much. Like yeah, I've never watched the show, but I feel like I understand a little bit now after watching Mr. Robot. It's so, so good. Like, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. If the, yes, like this, uh, it's not even about the mafia, really. Like, no, it's not. <laughs> no, I, that's not at all. It's definitely a show that I would, I don't know how I haven't started it. Like, I'm into all the mafia stuff, too, so it's definitely my next It's like watch. watching, like, a, like just an amazing seasons. drama, like any other. What was it? Isn't it, like, nine seasons? I think it's, like, six or seven. Seven seasons, oh, yeah. Nice. But the seventh one, it, like, it's, like, double the amount of, like, a usual season. Oh, okay. oh is it? Yeah, I think it's, like, oh, 21 yeah, six or a 22. And 6B. Yeah, the last Dang. one. But yeah, it's well worth it. Like, um, but yeah, I forget how we got on. <laughs> Sidetrack. Sidetrack. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's just, like, uh, when part three's on, and, like, with the Babe Ruth stuff, like, the second the betrayal's revealed, but you know they love each other. Like, I was also like, they're going to get back together. They're going to try. And I was sitting yeah. there, like, trying to connect the dots. Like, even the end of part three of the Count's story, I did remember, like, seeing his cigarette pack. And there's, like, the blue one mm-hmm. and, like, a yellow one in there. I thought the same thing. I, I didn't think it was... I didn't expect uh, Mercury poisoning. I thought it was going to be, like... I thought it was opium. It looked oh, like opium. I, I just was figured it opium. opium. Or, yeah. it, was, it, was it was so subtle, though. He said like, mercury. That's what yeah. I like about the scene. It's like, he could have zoomed in on the blue one, you know, and made it more, like, got a really big close-up, but it was just so quick. He just takes well, it. Well, it was just subtle, and, and it's super like, noticeable, though. Like, like, yeah. I loved uh, the uncle's comments on the smoke, too. He's yeah. like, yes, it's so beautiful, yeah, but also, like, like cold blue, and, like... Blue, yeah. yeah, yeah and all right. like, Christopher Nolan, take notes. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And then he's like, what do you he say? He's like, at least I get to have my dick attached. <laughs> yeah. like, Start to cut off his dick. The, yeah. I've never seen uh, a torture scene in a movie where somebody is so like Calm. tough with getting their fucking fingers cut yeah. off. Holy shit! I think it's yeah. It's, he's like a she's his character of like he's just like a well, resilient, I think ruthless. Yeah. I think like that also what he's saying is like that's what it signifies is like he's ruthless he's like you know resilient but he's also like I think it's also a big thing of him finally coming down like with the regret he's had and like all the things he's done he's like you know what like cause he knew like you know he knew what was going on with them and like I think he just accepted what was going on and accepted that you know for like almost like a sacrifice so he does this and they get to be you know completely fine and like he's just there and like it all the fear and everything just escaped his body. He was like, you know what? This is my time. Like, this is what I'm going to do. Because yeah. he, he is very calm while he's chopping his fingers off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, and it's also about, like, how they even mention, like, when he utters the word love, they're always like, what does a crook know about love? You know, because he's always seems so yeah, detached. Yeah, that was yeah. one they called yep. back to. Yeah. Because yeah. like, he's always so, like, detached from both women. He's just there to get what he wants, which is money. Like, he doesn't have feelings for anyone. Yeah. He, yeah. I love how even in um, the first and the second acts, like, you see when uh, the Count and Lady Hideko are, you know, have, like, consummated or, like, anything like that. Like, we're under the impression that, you know, um, Lady Hideko is just going along with emotions, you know, while uh, sacrificing her own integrity and her own wants and desires to, you know, be swayed into this marriage 
And then, like, it's all revealed in the third act that she had the power the entire time. Like, she wasn't... She didn't even touch him, or, like... Mm, yeah. The most she ever did was, like, kiss him. Yep. And, like, even at the end, like, she still preserves her integrity by having, like, the upper hand and, like, playing into his passions of what he wants. Yeah. By, like, spitting the wine, the poisoned wine, into his mouth. That, that scene was... That scene was good. That was great. And, and you could see, even on her face, like, she was, like, grimacing. Like, you yeah. could tell that something was wrong, but he was just so relieved to, like, finally have, like, his fantasy be realized. Yeah. But in the end, it wasn't. Yeah. He was just caught with his pants down, which is, like, yeah. such, like, a unique... Like, metaphorically and physically yeah, like, caught like, with his pants down. Remember in Act 2, where it's, like, shown, like, uh, the depiction of, like, the... Um, I can't t- I can't remember if it was actual if it was actually the count or another actor where it was a, a male who was like bent over and like being whipped in oh, place of an each actual, of them. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, because like they were ultimately wanting to be in that submission or yep. that submissive position yep. and having the uh, you know the they're pretty much their their anima um, being the one to like whip them and like yeah. you know demean them and like all these sorts of things and then in the third act he's caught in that same exact position with his pants down yeah and you can see like oh well this is what happens when your fantasy is realized it doesn't it's not ever what he expected yeah yeah and then he ends up paying the price in the end and uh one other thing i wanted to mention too um calling back to parasite i think that there's like um a unique thing to be said about both of them because they both start off with uh people of a lower social class um scheming against the higher class or like an upper class in order to assimilate into that or to get somewhere in between and then you see both of those movies not playing out yeah mm-hmm. you know the way that they expected it to yeah which um leads me to like this next thought that I have where um, do you think that, you know, just a question like all around, do you think that, um, by depicting, uh, action and reaction of that, um, takes away from, uh, any sort of incentive of like this lower social classes doing something to, um, decrease the, the gap in between, you know, someone from like, um, like the po- like poverty, poverty versus like someone who's like in like a rich estate who like just blows thousands of dollars a day. Yeah. Like, do you think that by showing these lower classes, you know, try and then fail miserably, like, do you think that that's like a good way to showcase these things to show, sorry, um, to show like a means to an end to resolving this conflict, if that makes sense? might be a bit long-winded i'm sorry <laughs> kind of like a more so like a eat the rich type of thing you know like yeah but it doesn't work out though. yeah but it doesn't work out for them yeah but i mean it kind of does for lady hideko and like um and suki. suki see that's what i was gonna say too though but in that one it's almost like there is somewhat of like that bridging the gap you know of like the middle class like the low class meeting with the high class you know that's the biggest part about the love story is like I think the ending of that film really signifies, like, when she throws the glove with the, oh, the ring. Yes, yes. It signifies that they're both forgetting about their past. They're both, like, doesn't matter the money, doesn't matter anything. Like, they both escape. They both have each other, you know? And they're both, like, going to live a new life. So I feel like that, like, that really signifies, like, at the end of the film, the heist never really even happened. And, like, they kind of just more so let their past go, go you know? And yeah. So it really did, like, 
break the gap by not even having like high class and a low class. Like it just kind of just went just, into like the love part of it, the yeah. affection. It part like of just it. completely transcended. Yeah, it. yeah. yeah. For the, those two, they did, and then the count is obviously like a traitor of his. Like the, like he's a literal. Is he a literal traitor? No, that's the uncle. The uncle's the one who assumed a Japanese identity mm, after yeah. helping with the imperial campaign of Korea. But it shows, like, yeah, to someone who went against their community and class, suffering and dying in, like, a torture chamber versus the two who are in love with whatever money they have in that briefcase. But the important thing is, again, like you said, just their love. Yeah. It feels like that one's more about this. I think Parasite's a little different where it's about... I don't know. My full read on that one is like it's like the emptiness of pursuing that, closing that gap from the lower class up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think this one, again, this came out before, correct? Yeah. And I I do enjoy this one more as well than Parasite. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that it because um, I mean with like any form of media, like once once you hold a mirror up to society, you're presented with a problem of showing people what they already know. And it's like, oh, well, how do you show them something that they don't know? Oh, you show it at a slightly oblique angle as opposed to straightforward. Like, I feel like the truth is best seen at, at like, a slightly skewed angle. Because, like, if you're shown the complete truth, like, face-to-face, it's so hard to accept. Um, whereas if you catch, like, subtle details and, like, slight glimpses of it, you're more apt to think about it later on and like incorporate it into your own worldview yeah like uh lady hideko mm-hmm. is like a she's introduced as like the naive like doting or like sickly victorian lady and then it's revealed she's actually like an exploited member of the upper class through like fetishistic practices and other exploitive stuff and then like it comes full circle when they destroy the library it's yeah, it's two people. They're aware of the class structures, but they're destroying. Like she had a lavish life of comfort, but she had to do horrible things still, and that's yeah, the oh, growth yeah. they she have together. Had a lot of trauma mm-hmm. growing up there too, in that yeah. basement oh, and that library. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so part two really shows that. Yeah, it's beginning of part two already. Like where the part where he gets the the bells and he talks, she talks back, and he, you know, I think pretty sure he breaks her hand or whatever. That scene, like. She had been going through that forever. That's why she's so traumatized and everything about being in that t- in that library all the time. So this brings me to my uh, question. I was talking my one of my only qualms about the movie is that last scene, the final sex scene mm. with oh, the bells. Yeah. yeah, like does that scene? I know, like I just feel like that's when it went too far, or like that's when it gets a little exploitive of like. The like that uh, I don't know what like that genre or just like of the sex of the, the erotica of the just movie. Like, it's like you don't yeah, need that. Like, give, me, give me a fade out with the bells like, of them like on the ship. Uh, you know what I think it is. But also, like, I see the callback to like her. She explains she, what goes she's on. getting hit. Like what happens? She does he put the bell in her mouth? He puts the bell in her mouth as a kid, right? Like when it's. Like, he's no, like, I you'll never like forget the taste of like, this metal like puts, or something. Yeah, right? he puts some. Yeah, yeah, he puts yeah. one of the bells in yeah. her mouth, and then he hits. So yeah, then yeah, at the yeah. end of the movie, it goes back to that, and then it's like, okay, and she maybe talks is about it like it in a story? Is this like a re? Is this like a? Uh, I was thinking, is it, is this like a uh, re? Like a 
like an overriding of like a bad memory to where exactly. you're yes. into a good memory. Because it, it's like that saying, um, laugh in the places where you used to cry. Oh. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I feel like it kind of took that on and they're both fully liberated and mm-hmm. they're in the repression that they used to have. And they're like fully embracing their new form of like yeah. lifestyle by, mm-hmm. you know, doing what it is, which is like, yeah, that scene. But <laughs> I, I was definitely thinking the exact I same just, thing. I, just, I was like, is this a bit much? I like, also caught myself thinking like, um, like, yes, obviously they're like in love, but also they could just be like, in lust, you know, like they both just like kind of, you know, are like exploring mm. and like pretty much like banging for the first time, like which is like an awesome time. But it's like, <laughs> is this gonna like work out? Yeah, is this gonna like you know flicker away? Like, do these two actually have a connection outside of just like having a good sex life? I think that scene does lock it in because, like, even referencing the story she does read where they do the same thing, it creates the circular. Like I agreed it was a little bit much, but then at the end when the I think it shows the ship on the ocean and then the sun becomes a, becomes a sun on a tapestry of a door. Yeah, it's like locking in like their their relationship and their arc. Yeah, is like that of the story of true love that she's reading earlier. And then when the sun from their ship sailing off becomes the sun on a tapestry, it's like locking it in as like it's a pure. Conceit, con- concrete mm-hmm. love that's locked yeah. in. It's all like, especially with like the bells and her throwing the ring off with the glove. Like it's signifying that they really did find each other and that they're letting go of their past and like the troubles they faced and the things they had to both go through. Like her being a con and her going through like the abuse with her uncle. Like that's what it really signifies. I feel yeah. Like. yeah. No, I get that part. It was just yeah. The, I, think, cause exactly. I think that's the last scene. It's like they're basically like banging like with the bells, and it's like. But there is a scene in the movie, and it's also that's one of the like the stories from like that she was reading like mm-hmm. as an erotic like story to all these fucking creeps. To but, where I'm like, oh, yeah. maybe they're also saying like. But whatever, like the, they're happy now, but this like bad part that they went through still sticks with both of them at the same yeah, time. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah. yeah, I took it as them like claiming like that original literature was written by written by someone who cared enough to write it, and like maybe they didn't have the direct like some smut is written to be smut, mm-hmm. but like it seems like that story is particular or whatever the significance is. It's like it's them taking it back from the room of perverts. It feels like it's yeah. Them yeah. in this moment together, and we're the audience, we're the perverts watching the film. That's why I I did feel uncomfortable a little bit too. Like oh, like, oh for sure. <laughs> we think yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> but then, which is another part of the room. room I'm watching. Like, I'm like <laughs> double taking. Like so that's yeah. yeah. Like they're pointing the finger at us again. Of like yeah. now we're finishing the movie. We've seen people lusting and fetishizing yeah. this stuff happening earlier in the film. Are we doing that as individuals? I think that's what it's getting at. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm not saying I don't like it. But I, I guess I've more so had questions on it, but now like going over it with you guys, I'm like, okay, yeah, I like I like that uh, and that I think, explanation. I think he did it on purpose because it, it oh for leads sure to conversations for like sure this he did it on purpose to where everybody takes a different message from the ending of the I film. like that through they're both kissing it back and the like boat that. goes away. We get it, you know. They both kiss, the boat flows away. We know what happened. We we can get that message, but with this, it's very like they're ending it on a really raw uncomfortable scene that you're just like okay like uh, I guess I'm gonna take it this way <laughs> yeah I'm because a this third, is like <laughs> really where is the fourth <laughs> yeah it's challenging they're like pointing at you of like yeah. we're two people in love are you fetishizing us yeah. are you yeah. Yeah. yeah 
Which is brilliant. I love that. Because that was... I forgot what scene they say, but, like, the story she's reading, that's what they do in the story. It's in yeah. the story when she's reading mm-hmm. to the men. And then that exact scene is brought to your eyes at the very end of the I'd, film. And you're like, oh, yeah. the, that's and, the... And, I forgot what they called it, but, yeah. And you already know if you're familiar with Park Chan-wook's work. He's not going to end it with just a kissing scene and then, <laughs> yeah. and then fade and then, the, and then it's over. Old boy. Yeah, oh. no, you're... No, you're... Yeah, oh, he, he, he goes back full circle. Like, he... Everything has a meaning, and there's going to be a reference, and it's all intertextual, you know. Like, every yeah, it all matters, and yeah, like like I said previously, like yeah, some of the sex scenes can be a bit long winded, but they they do have some sort of purpose when you think about it later, and there is some meaning behind them. It's not, I don't know, I haven't seen Blue is the warmest color, but I've heard they're they have a lot of extra footage, and they're like really really long scenes of the actresses you know, being really intimate together and they felt very uncomfortable and they're just wondering why, why are they doing all this, you know? Whereas I think this film, like, there actually is a purpose to everything that they're doing. And, um, yeah, I can see how anyone who's not familiar with this work is thinking, like, why don't we just end it before the bells? But there is a point to it, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah, he doesn't Disney-fy no. his movies yeah. at all. No. And that's what's, I what I like about it. Now talking about it, it's like, yeah, that's obviously, it's obvious to me now that's a way better way to end the movie. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. then we wouldn't have this discussion. We'd just be like, oh yeah, they just yeah. faded out with the bells in the background. Like, oh, that was an <laughs> it's a happy ending. Story. It's like, now you're like, whoa. Then, yeah. Then that they, ended exactly how the beginning of the movie started. Like, it's an after the credits. Okay, so, yeah. <laughs> is there an after <laughs> credits scene? Yeah, after the credits. Samuel Part Jackson. four is after the credits. It's still <laughs> something about assemble the Avengers. Yeah, it's called the Avengers. This happens with the credits. Uh, well, now, now, Open the yeah. shield. Now the <laughs> he, like, turns around on the boat. <laughs> He's the captain. The bells are still ringing. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, what's going on in that room in there? <laughs> Christmas came early. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Um, I pretty much think that we uh, reached the tail end of our podcast, or our episode 33, uh, of a review of The Handmaiden. And I would like to thank you again, Ardo, for yeah. being our special guest. It's been... Uh, pleasure of having you on. No, thanks for having me, dude. Yeah. This is awesome. No, it was, it was great. Like, definitely come on again. Yes, <laughs> yes. All right. For sure, dude. Yeah. Especially because I love film, so. Yeah, Arto can be my sub if I can never make it. Yeah. Seriously. We can still record here, right? Yeah. We sleep on the couch three nights a week. Monday through Tuesday for the pod. The bars are right down the street. It's too convenient. Movies and I get to be drinking. Can't complain. But yeah, uh, thank everyone for listening to our um, it's pretty much an After Dark episode. Uh, thank you for again for tuning in. If you're listening to us on Spotify, follow us on iTunes, uh, subscribe to us, and review us and rate us and email us at latefilmpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening, and we'll see you next time.